This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, we, if you listen to this show, you know. Good morrow, everyone. This is Frank Moreno here on the other side of Midnight, 77 WABC. If you listen to this show, you know this is a program that is dedicated to the free and open exchange of ideas and of opinions. However, the one thing that we're going to do for the next 10, 12 minutes is allow anybody that's from the Garden State, irrespective of how open or free your opinion or idea is. We are allowing anybody from the Garden State, the state of New Jersey, to the front of the line. Because, to me, the issue that's in the news with respect to New Jersey trumps anything that's happening in Eastern Europe, anything that's happening in Washington, D.C. I know we had the State of the Union a few hours ago. Trumps anything that's happening with respect to Major League Baseball, Whatever you think the big news of the day is, and it's all big news, and we'll get to it all, but I have always wondered, uh, from the time that I first became aware, why in New Jersey can you not pump your own gasoline? And one of the things that we're seeing with Russia and this whole standoff with Ukraine and the call for greater sanctions and the call for uh, greater sanctions on the oil and gas sector, has been a concern about America's energy sources. And you hear a lot, you know, I was talking to Rudy Rudy Giuliani at length yesterday, at length. And uh, we'll we'll get into our conversation a little later. We spoke mostly about the mob, and then we spoke a little bit about the gubernatorial race. And then other than that, the primary issue that we spoke about was energy, namely America's energy future and the price of gasoline. Well, now, in the Garden State, the state of New Jersey, there is newly proposed legislation which would bring self-serve gasoline to the state of New Jersey, the last state in our entire country that doesn't allow it. The bill, A3105, would let gas stations offer self-serve, but require those with more than four dispensers to continue to have full-service gas pumps. It is sponsored by Assemblywoman Carol Murphy of Burlington, a Democrat, and Assemblyman Ned Thompson of Monmouth County, a Republican. It's co-sponsored by Rob Clifton, a Republican. The supporters of this said in a news release that this would go a long way towards lowering the price of gas. This is a quote from the press release. Simply put, this bill will provide choice, convenience, and cost savings to New Jersey drivers. Yes, of course it would. To me, I can't believe that we've made it to the year 2022 without you Garden State denizens being able to pump your own gas. I got to tell you, it's so frustrating when I'm in New Jersey and you're you're in a long line of people waiting to uh, get gasoline and uh, you you, you want to pump your own gas, and they stop you. Oh, no, no, no. You can't do that. You can't do that. you got to wait. As one of the legislators, Assemblymember Thompson said, motorists in every other state are able to pump their own gas. 
And if a consumer wants to choose to not wait for an attendant, that choice should not be denied to them by state law. Another assembly member said it's shameful that short-staffed gas stations are closed during daytime hours. So what I want to do, we're going to give preferential treatment to the Jersey people here. If you're from Jersey, you're going to the front of the line. But what in the world is the rationale for not pumping your own gas? Are we talking about job preservation here? Is that what this is about? Because I got news for you. There's a lot of folks, once telephone calls started being made, those that were employed as telegraph operators lost their jobs. And look, I'm a guy, look, I support protectionist trade policies. I'm an old-fashioned guy. I usually oppose any sort of gentrification. I'm a guy that that always sides with the the little guy over the massive corporate behemoth. But even more so than that, I side with the consumer because I am a consumer. And it drives me nuts that when I'm in New Jersey, I have no choice but to allow someone else to pump my own gasoline and to pay more money for it. It used to be nobody cared about this in Jersey because the gas prices in New Jersey were so low. How low were they? They were so low that only Vernon Troyer could see them. But over the last few years, since they've raised the gas tax and a variety of other things have occurred, we've seen the price of gas in New Jersey creep up. Now it's even more than it is in New York in some cases. So what's the rationale for this? It used to be we didn't care that you couldn't pump your own gas in New Jersey because the price was so low. Well, now the price is not so low. And I applaud these legislators, Democrat and Republican, for putting forward this legislation to give New Jerseyans the choice to pump their own gasoline. I think it would be a great idea. A great idea. 1-800-848-WABC. We have one, two, three, four open lines for New Jerseyans that want to come in on this. Uh, Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to talk with Eric Schwartzel. Eric Schwartzel is the author of a book called Red Carpet, Hollywood, China, and the Global Battle for Cultural Supremacy. We're going to talk about where we are with the movies, the movies in China, the movies in Russia, so on and so forth. 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. You know, the old saying was, Jersey girls don't pump their own gas. Well, Assemblywoman Annette Shaparo, who's the sponsor of this, she put out a statement that said something to the effect of it's time to save our small business community and get rid of the stigma. Jersey girls can do anything, including pump their own gas. Jersey girls like to save money just like everyone else. 800 848 Two, two. Let's talk with a Jersey girl, Pamela, in central New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Good evening. Um, I think it came about, um, my dad was a mechanic, and I think it came about years ago because of a liability. New Jersey is one of the first safety states. You know, that's why we have railings on the side of highways. You know, if you go to certain states, there's like, oh, you fall off a cliff? Too bad. <laughs> you know, But um, that's how it started, because believe it or not, you know, people don't realize how volatile gasoline is. That's why you should always turn your engines off. Not that you can't pump your own gas, but a lot of people don't turn their engines off. They talk on their cell phone at static charge. That's why uh, tractor trailers have chains underneath them. 
uh, to uh, connect to the ground, to ground them so they don't have a static charge. Gasoline is very volatile, and a lot of people have been torched while filling up with gas <laughs> because they weren't careful. You got to be, you know, there's a certain safety factor which people don't really think about. Well, I get all that, but how is it that they're able to, in as litigious as a state like New York is, for instance, how is it that they're able to take all the safety factors into account, all the insurance issues into account in New York and uh, Connecticut, wherever else, and they're able to manage pumping their own gas in 49 other states? Well, I think like in special ed area, like we were the first to uh, really uh, work with special ed laws and everything. Uh, New Jersey is very legislative uh, aware and um, a lot of laws with safety in mind. Um, So I think that's really why it has stuck in New Jersey so much. Well, would you be for this if they legalized uh, pumping your own gas? Would you be for that legislation? Yeah, I think I think some a lot of us New Jerseyans are a little disabled because we we actually like freak out if we have to pump our own gas because we're so used to. No, you're not allowed to. So I think the four pump self-service is fine and other stations, if people want to fill it themselves, it's fine as a transition. All right. Well, that sounds fair to me. Thank you, Pamela. 800-848-9222. Nancy is in Enporth. Hello, Nancy. Hello, how are you? What, what community are you in? Oh, I'm in North Bergen. Oh, Hudson North Bergen. County. Okay, got it. Yeah, that's Hudson County. My brother had a gas station, and then I know there was a ruling. Of, they banned people from pumping their own gas in, like, 1949, and because they said consumers could cause an accident and then it would be um, a problem for the gas sta- the owner of the gas place. Right. So would you be for this legislation? Well, I've been in New York and tried to pump gas, and it was a disaster. But why shouldn't you at least give people the choice of doing it, Oh, I think think they should have the choice. And between you and I, my brother had the gas station, but he had customers. They came and they pumped their own gas there, and nobody ever said anything. Oh, well, I won't tell anybody. I appreciate no, you keeping no. that between us. Thank you, Nancy. 800-848-WABC. Rosemary is in Bogota. Hello, Rosemary. Hello. Uh, yes, uh, I did not know you weren't allowed to park your own, uh, put your own gas because I always see people that want to do that. However, I know the person, I can't remember his name, that this came into effect because it was a conven- it was nice for women not to have to get out and get all dirty to do their own uh pump their own gas or you know even pregnant women whatever uh the uh thing was and it was just it was uh, to help people not to hinder them but if you wanted to pump your own gas i've never seen anybody stop this is well, the first i've heard about well- I'm glad that I'm glad that I know then, I've been into other states and tried to pump my own gas and I just like leave my finger go a little bit and that would be the end of the gas pumping into the, into the tank but uh okay I can't remember the person's name he was in either uh in the next town Teaneck that did this and when he passed away they actually had a floral arrangement in the shape of a gas tank oh. and a nozzle <laughs> Well, uh, it sounds like quite a fitting tribute, but no, make no mistake. As it stands now, you are legally not able to pump 
your own gas in New Jersey. I've always thought that that was absolutely absurd. Now there's a coalition, bipartisan, of Democrats and Republicans in the state legislature that want to put an end to this and want to give you a choice. I've always been pro-choice on this issue. Why not allow New Jerseyans and people that happen to be visiting the state of New Jersey to pump their own gas? I always thought about uh, the, the jobs of the people involved here, and I recognize that's a factor. Okay, but at the end of the day, the consumers have some say in this too. 800-848-WABC. Karen is in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Hello, Karen. Okay. I lived in Fort Lee for many years, but I have a lot of family in Long Island. Now I live in uh, Manhattan. But anyway, I go to Long Island. I need gas. I didn't even know how to do it. It was like dripping on my feet. I had to go over to somebody in another car. I was ruining my shoes. What? I had no idea. And isn't that a shame, Karen? Isn't that a shame because so much of your formative gas-filling experience was were in the Garden State that once it came time for you to fill your own gas tank, you were completely lost. Had you gr- grown up in a community where filling your own gas tank was an option, you wouldn't have been pouring gasoline all over your feet. Okay, but now I live in Manhattan. I don't even need a car. That's the best. Well, so, I, mean, I mean, I can't argue anyway. with that, Karen, but I, I'm not sure that necessarily. But nobody, the gas man didn't come over and say, this is how you do it. I'm sorry, we're ruining your shoes. This nice guy in the next car, help me. You think I'm all dressed up? I want to get that gasoline smell on me? I think you should have the option. Well, I'm all for the option, uh, Karen. Now, is that what made you move but to Manhattan? In New Jersey, it was laws that right. and insurance things and stuff like that. That so is is that what it. made you move to to uh, Manhattan, Karen? Not wanting to pump Absolutely. your own gas. I don't need a car, and I, I don't need the gas, and I'm done. Well, uh, hopefully, you're still wearing to... those nice shoes from time to time. Oh, definitely. I don't need to be in the six pack state. I was in Fort City anyway. So. All right. Well, uh, we're happy to have you in Manhattan. I happen to work in Manhattan, and hopefully, I'll run into you from time to time. Okay, come over for breakfast. I, well, I will. Well, you know, I, well, that'd be early for you. I get off here at five a.m. Are you up for serving 5 breakfast? Yeah, five. I've got to sleep five a.m. Well, then so it is kind of. It's going to be a little inconvenient for you, isn't it? It's okay. You'd be worth it. Oh, gee. Are you single, Karen? No, my uh, husband wouldn't like much. Uh, well, that's... No, we would have breakfast with you, too. Well, all of a sudden, my enthusiasm is significantly diminished. Thank you, Karen. 800-848-WABC. Barbara is in Patterson, New Jersey. Hello, Barbara. Hi, how are you? Well, I, living in a state where they do allow you to pump your own gas, I'm doing just fine. That's... I feel bad for you. I would not want to pump my own gas. First of all, I, I've been here about 40 years in Jersey. But in Missouri, where I came from, you had the option. Only if you wanted to, to have self-service or, you know, have somebody pump the gas for you, it cost you more. Right. Well, it's going to cost you so, more. You know, wherever you have a, if you, whenever you have a choice of a full serve versus a self serve, the full serve always costs you more. 
I know, but that doesn't cost me more now because they self-serve me. You know, they serve me. Right, but the thing is, if you wanted to pump your own gas in Patterson, you wouldn't be able to. Well, it's a safety issue, too, truthfully. Most of the time when I'm driving, I'm by myself. I don't want to get out of my car. With the with the amount of crime that's going on around all over the place, I really don't have any desire. I keep my doors locked. Well, Barbara, first of all, I, I'm all for safer streets and, and reducing crime. But if we had this option in New Jersey where they were to give you the option of pumping your own gas – it doesn't mandate that you pump your own gas. You could still go to a full serve if you wanted to. It just gives you the choice of pumping your own I gas. Don't, no, but it, then then I'm the one that's going to have to pay more. I'd rather keep it the way it is and have have them pump the gas for me. Right, well, but, and not only that, I don't want to get dirty. Well, but right, but Barbara, you're already paying more. That's the thing. the The price of an attendant to pump your own gas is baked in. To the price that you're paying. Prices never go down. The gas stations are not going to lower the price just because we have to get out and pump gas because they still have to keep an attendant there that's going to watch over all the pumps and everything like that. So needless to say. And it's not safe. You see people get out there on their phone. You know, they could light a cigarette. I don't want any part of it. But how is it that they're able to manage to do this in 49 other states without uh, you know, this rampant, you know, spate of robberies and gasoline-induced cigarette explosions at gas stations around the rest of the country. I was at Costco buying gas, and I saw a fire right behind us. You did you? You know, somebody threw a cigarette out, yeah. Well, that's it. I'm convinced now. I'm reversing my position. I no longer want New Jerseyans to have the option to pump their own gas. Um it was interesting talking to Barbara. One, in that she's from Missouri, but she still says Missouri instead of Missouri. Leads me to think that she's from the city, but maybe some place like St. Louis instead of um, the other, the outskirts of Missouri where they still say Missouri. I like saying Missouri because it makes no sense, and that's kind of my, my MO. But it was interesting hearing her, whereas, like, she seems very concerned about crime. And I'm just trying to figure out the worst-case scenario in what she envisions going on. I mean, clearly, the explosions are a big problem for her. We, although I have to tell you, I, I've been pumping my own gas for decades in New York and in 49 other states. And not once have I ever seen an explosion. But okay, let's put the explosion issue aside. She's concerned about safety and crime what goes on? If you're a criminal mastermind, do you wait until someone's pumping their own gas and then come up behind them and rob them? Is that how it goes? Because, again, same situation. I pump my own gas regularly. Very rarely do I see somebody mugged as they're filling their own car. And the, But the nice thing about this is it's a choice. If you don't want to fill your own gas tank, you don't have to. No one's forcing you. It's not a self-serve mandate. It's a self-serve option. So I applaud these legislators, and I am glad that they are moving the ball forward on this. What say you? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Nancy is in Madison. Hello, Nancy. 
Good evening, Frank. Good evening. You know, when they talked about um, pumping your own gasoline, the mantra was, oh, you will get to pay less for your gasoline. What a bunch of horse feathers. We did not pay less for our gasoline. And who wants to have gasoline smell all over their hands? And by the way, I noticed that most of your your callers are ladies. And I, I'm one among those who do not want to pump my own gas. In fact, I would not even leave New Jersey, so I wouldn't have to pump my own gas. And Mr. Moreno, you know, you live in New, you live in New York or you live in New Jersey? I live in New York, but I frequently visit New Jersey. Oh, that's right. You go to Atlantic City all the time. Well, I go to other places too, but yeah, including yeah. Atlantic City. Okay, then just stay in New York. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nancy doesn't want me in uh, New Jersey. And and again, I, I guess this bears repeating. If this legislation passes, it does not mandate that you pump your own gas. All it says is you have an option. The business has an option. The consumer has an option. Don't we want that? As consumers, we want to be able to choose self-serve versus full-serve. Come on. Let people choose. 800-848-9222. Nancy doesn't want me in New Jersey. I have friends in Madison, New Jersey, the Falcos. Uh, Joey and Cynthia, they had me at their house once, had a great time. You know who used to live in Madison? One of my favorites, Tucker Carlson. And uh, again, he, like I have, have been accused of being an apologist for Vladimir Putin. And now it all comes full circle, right? Right now you see why... People like Tucker Carlson and me are so supportive of Vladimir Putin, which we're not, by the way. But you see, we want people to be able to pump their own gas and explode as they pump their own gas and be robbed as they put their, pump their own gas. Because all of that helps to serve the influence, the interests of Vladimir Putin. And now, look, I mean, I tried to conceal this for a long time, but. The jig is up, I suppose. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Hoboken. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. How are you? Well, I guess uh, there's some debate about that. I'm not I'm not, I'm not talking to Curtis, so don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I used to have a, an English sports car, a Triumph. I've never heard of a Triumph. That's why we have to look it up. And uh, the gas tank was in the behind my back seat in the middle of the car. And I used to go to a Gulf station in on Route 46, and had I needed let let it guess, and he would let me pump the gas myself, and because if he did it, he would get the gas all over my paint. So uh, I think it's a great idea. What to let people pump their own gas? Say again. It's a good idea to let people pump their own gas. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. All right, Mike. Well, but you just have to actually. I needed to let it get let it gas in that car, let it gas, and that was the only station on 46 in I'm sure it was Richfield, maybe Richfield, and the only place I had let it gas. So I had to actually buy lead and put it into my gas tank. Well, fair enough, Mike. Thank you. We are going to we're going to reach out to these legislators, Molly, if you would, whenever uh, time permits. Reach out to the folks that are proposing this, and we'll invite them on the show, and we'll invite them to answer your questions, the tough questions about. The option of filling their own gasoline. Karen is in Rockland County. We had an interesting experience with a a Karen earlier who 
invited me for breakfast, but then she seemed to rescind her invitation. So we'll see where this conversation goes. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. Now I live in New York. I worked in Jersey, um, got gas in Jersey. Now I live in New York, but a lot of times I come into Jersey because at one time the gas was a hell of a lot cheaper than in New York. The only thing I resent about uh, pumping my own gas is, especially in the wintertime, you've got to go into the store, go in and pay the attendant, come back out in that cold weather when it's you know raining and snowing, and then you have to walk back into the why, I mean, at least if the attendant would come out and get the money, money from you, that's one thing. But they do have to actually have to walk into the store. You know, it's like, you know, they're sitting in their nice little warm buildings, sure. and I'm out there pumping in the cold weather. Two, two quick questions, Karen. One, my cousin Joni and her husband Lou live in Fort Lee. Did you ever run into them at all? Their last name was Gotthold. No. No. Okay. Uh, two, when, when, when you began the process of going on the air – did Molly, our telephone talent coordinator, tell you to turn your radio off? Be yes. honest. She did tell yeah, you that. Did. Yeah. And, and then why did you choose not to listen to her? Because I didn't think it was so loud. And my uh, the radio is far away from where I am right now. So when she said, turn your radio off, I mean, I guess she trusted you enough to take your word for it. You chose to tell her yes, and then just not turn your radio off. I yes, I was bad. All right, Karen. I mean, uh, <laughs> Look, Karen, I have a mischievous <laughs> side uh, to myself, uh, to you know, my own personality, as evidenced by the fact that I uh, tried to solicit a breakfast invitation from Karen in Fort Lee when I didn't know she had a husband. So I don't blame people for having a mischievous side. That being said. There are certain lines we can't cross as a society, and one of them is keeping your radio on while you call a talk radio program. That is, I mean, if there is an afterlife and if there is a fifth circle of Dante's Inferno, it probably will involve you listening to your own voice 30 seconds later for the rest of eternity. And that's the last thing any of us want. 800-848-9222. We're going to talk with uh, Eric Schwartzel in just a minute. How would you like to have a name like Eric Schwartzel? I'm looking forward to the conversation. We're going to talk China and movies. Eddie is in Ocean County. Hello, Eddie. Hi, Frank. I have five things to say. First of all, we we want you to say. First of all, we want you in New Jersey. Thank you. We want you here all, all the time. Second of all, I thought you were doing gender discrimination until you picked up that Mike, uh, that Mike guy. And then I realized that you were just discriminating against me, but not taking my call for so long. Mm-hmm. But it's fine. I don't hold it against you. Thank you. Um, and in relation to the gas, whenever I leave the state, it's a, it's, it's a big treat for me to fill up my own gas. I really enjoy it. And the reason why this legislation is going through now is because Steve Sweeney's gone, and he was oh. a big opponent of self-gas. Well, that's what and, – and thank you. I appreciate the five things that you said and the fact that you stated – early on that you had five things to say this way I didn't cut you off prematurely but what we've been hearing about Steve Sweeney is he's his departure unwillingly is the reason that we're now going to see no more smoking in casinos so we're going to get into that tomorrow on the AC report Mark is in Cherry Hill New Jersey hello Mark hey how you doing this has been a sore spot with me for like 20 years I could tell you how it's not only inconvenient it's also dangerous and destructive what I mean by that, uh, I can tell you incidents 
where if you don't pump your own gas, and when they when the attendant pumps, and sometimes he's not conversing in English, you think you know that. They talk on the Bluetooth. They don't listen to you. You tell them fill it up, regular. They fill it up, and they keep going and going. When it makes the click, when it makes that click, when you're not supposed to put any more gas in, they keep clicking to even it off or to get an extra 50 cents out of it. They broke my sensors. There's sensors in your gas tank. They actually broke them. So needless to say, you're on board with the option to pump your own gas. Oh, yeah. I wrote letters to state centers. It was published in the Courier Post. Yeah. And I once on a Jersey Turnpike once on a Labor Day. And I had to get gas. I think it was the Molly Pitcher X. There was one attendant. There was two lines of cars, like 20. It took me an hour to get gas. This is ridiculous. Oh. Oh, yeah. This has been a thing with me for years. Well, I, look, hopefully your your salvation is at hand here, Mark. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. And we're going to talk with Eric Schwartzel. The author of the book, Red Carpet, Hollywood, China, and the Global Battle for Cultural Supremacy. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead. WABC. This is Curtis Lever. For more than 30 years, when cancer is the issue, my number one source for straight cancer information, guidance, and treatment is Dr. Lederman. Dr. Lederman is cutting edge and the first in America with non-invasive, no-cutting, no-bleeding, highly successful body radio surgery for new and reoccurring cancers. Even if prior chemo, surgery, or radiation didn't work, isn't tolerated or wanted. For prostate cancers, he's the one. And I know best from my personal experience, avoiding radical robotic surgery and all of its many complications. He's a prostate cancer body expert, breast, lung, pancreas, liver, kidney, and more. Conveniently located at 38th and Broadway, accepts most insurances, Medicare, Medicaid. Dr. Lederman's exemplary prostate cancer treatment with better results, sexual and urinary life, and avoiding deforming surgery are best for you. Call Dr. Lederman. 212 Choices. That's 212 Choices. Talk Radio 77 WABC. so that I can hardly speak and I seem to find the happiness I seek when we're out together dancing cheek to cheek heaven I'm in heaven And the cares that hung around me through the week Seemed to vanish like a gambler's lucky streak When we're out together, dancing cheek to cheek This is The Other Side of Midnight. That is Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett singing Cheek to Cheek. A terrific song. If you ever want to know what songs we play on this show... Uh, just join our Facebook group. Just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. Coming up at 2 o'clock, we have John McDonough and uh, Marlena Schiavo. Uh, they're going to chew the fat on the news of the day. But the nice thing, if there is a nice thing, about seeing what's happening with Ukraine and Russia is at least there's no more problems with China. At least we don't have to worry about China at all anymore. At least all the problems that America has had with China over the course of the last 
5, 10, 15, 20 years are all gone. The problems of uh, currency manipulation and human rights and borrowing and uh, buying Chinese products, those are all gone. Oh, wait. They're not all gone. They're still here and could be exacerbated by the geopolitical matters that we're seeing play out in Eastern Europe. Well, I have to tell you, I'm a movie guy and a guy that likes to follow foreign policy. And for many years, I have been puzzled, troubled, and curious all at the same time over the seemingly overnight switch that we have seen in American multiplexes. American moviegoers went from seemingly overnight being able to see films made by Hollywood like Red Corner with Richard Gere, which was a great film, which was kind of critical of the communist Chinese government. And films like Seven Years in Tibet with Brad Pitt to all of the sudden, nothing that comes out of Hollywood is critical of China. How did we get here? Why are we here? Where are we going? Those are a few of the issues that are explored in a terrific book called Red Carpet, Hollywood, China, and the Global Battle for Cultural Supremacy. Its author, Eric Schwartzel, who also happens to be a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, where he covers all sorts of material in the um, Los Angeles Bureau of the Wall Street Journal. Kind enough to join us this morning. Eric, thanks so much for joining me. Congratulations on such a terrific book. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So um, how does China control Hollywood, Eric? Why would Hollywood movie studios in America care about what the communist Chinese government wants made? The short answer is money. So over the past decade and a half or so, the Chinese box office has grown at a clip. I'm talking double-digit percentage growth every year as China has built more and more theaters. And at the same time, the number of ticket sales in the U.S. has flatlined. So ticket sales around 2008 started to go flat in the U.S., while they were growing in China. And so it didn't take long for the studios here in Hollywood to realize that that was where the growth was. And so if they were going to access that growth and access those ticket sales, that meant one thing, which was making movies that could pass Chinese censorship. So I mentioned Seven Years in Tibet, that Brad Pitt film. Was that sort of a game changer when it came to Hollywood and its relationship with China? It was. It was a cautionary tale because it came out in 1997. So Hollywood movies had just started being exported to China, but the market was really an economic afterthought. There was no reason to think about China when you were making a movie because there weren't there wasn't much money to be made there at all. But when Seven Years in Tibet was made by Sony, it's a movie about a young Dalai Lama, and it's also a movie about Mao Zedong's invasion of Tibet. So certainly some history that Chinese leaders do not want to see on screen. When the movie was made, even though it wasn't going to be released in China, Chinese authorities let their displeasure with it very clear, and they actually banned Sony from operating in the market for a year after its release. And and this isn't not this is not just Sony the studio. It was Sony the parent company as well. So it was a cautionary tale in that it taught Hollywood that 
if you wanted to access the Chinese market, you couldn't anger China because more than just a movie might be at stake. So as of now, in the year 2022, what are the rules? What films made in America are allowed to be shown and distributed in China? So there's a limit. So about 34 films from outside China are allowed onto Chinese screens a year. Most of those are still American movies, and most of them are still going to be the biggest American movies. So the Marvel superhero movies, your Fast and Furious films, those are the ones that typically get sent to China. And oftentimes, if you think about it, those movies don't really have any issues. They're PG, PG PG-13, family-friendly films. But nonetheless, the studios still have to submit them for approval by the Chinese censors, which means sometimes they'll take things out that no one could have ever anticipated. For example, in a Mission Impossible movie released in 2006, there was a scene in which Tom Cruise is running through the streets of Shanghai, and he runs past laundry that's drying outside of apartment buildings on clotheslines. And the Chinese authorities requested that that be removed from the image because they thought it made China look more backwards than they wanted. And so it goes it goes down to such cosmetic changes as that. I mean, so it, you can imagine if there's sensitivity around dirty laundry, anything that has to do with criticism of China, criticism of Chinese state policy, or any history that China would rather have Americans or moviegoers around the world forget is totally off the table. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Eric Schwartzel. He's the author of the book Red Carpet, Hollywood, China, and the Global Battle for Cultural Supremacy. Now, let's talk about those uh, those films that are allowed to be distributed in China. I've noticed that a lot of the big budget blockbusters over the course of the last uh, 10 years or so, they seem to place an increasing emphasis on Chinese characters or China itself being the good guy. Uh, we saw The Martian, where the technology that saved the, the main character was made by China. We saw Gravity, where um, the uh, Sand, where one of the characters, I think Sandra Bullock, was rescued by a, a Chinese spacecraft. Independence Day, the sequel. Remember the first Independence Day, where America had no problem beating the aliens on their own. The second one, they needed the Chinese to help. The Arrival, the hero in that film is a communist Chinese uh, general. Is it a concerted effort on the part of these American Hollywood studios to feature Chinese characters or the Chinese government in a positive manner in order to help them get that distribution to the billion people that are in China? Yeah, and that's a, that's a great collection there <laughs> that you that you pulled of of plot changes that were made with China in mind. In some cases, yes, I'd say you know with an example like The Martian, it's a little trickier because that was the the story in the original book that 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 there was this Chinese space station that was going to help come to the rescue. But in other cases, you're absolutely right, and the Independence Day sequel is a really good one to look at because. As you said, the original film released in the mid-90s, a classic of, of my childhood for sure, is is all about the Americans leading the effort against the invading aliens. And then by the time the sequel comes out, uh, what was it, around 2015, 2016 or so, there's this intergalactic space force that is well-stocked with Chinese soldiers. And, and it's, a couple things are happening there. One is that it might help get those movies onto Chinese screens. The the more likely 
strategy at play there is that once the movie is in China, it will sell more tickets there. Uh So there was this moment in 2015 or 2016 when studio chiefs were not only saying, what do we need to do to avoid angering China, but what can we do? How can we work China into this? And this is when you started to see a lot of movies come out with these, as you said, these rather random, unnecessary detours to China. And oftentimes, one of the favorite strategies was casting Chinese actors and actresses in these small roles. And and what the studios would do is they would release images of these actors and actresses and make it look like they had a much bigger part than they actually did. And so then the Chinese audiences would show up to see their favorite movie stars and then find out that it was nothing more than a glorified cameo. And the audiences in China, you know, I think it took Hollywood a minute to realize, are as smart as audiences everywhere. They know when they're being pandered to. And eventually, the audiences in China really turned on this strategy. And they started calling Mm. these actors, and they called these actresses flower vases. So even the Chinese audiences aren't crazy about American movie studios pandering to them. Right. I mean, I think I think especially as China's own film industry has commercialized and grown more sophisticated, audiences there have come to see through a lot of those tactics. So we are, we're in this world right now where Chinese movies are making hundreds of millions of dollars routinely at the Chinese box office. These are movies that you and I have never heard of, but they are these massive blockbusters in the home market. And it's causing Chinese audiences to turn away from Hollywood films and grow even more skeptical of any Hollywood film that's bending over backwards to appeal to them. You do, you have an interesting chapter in the book uh, all about Steven Spielberg in Beijing. What was his experience in Beijing? And what what I mean, he's one of the most celebrated filmmakers of all time. Uh, certainly he wouldn't have to cower to the communist Chinese government. What happened with Steven Spielberg? This is back. This is another fascinating kind of bookend to look at. This is back in 2006, right before the 2008 Summer Olympics in Beijing, which seemed like night and day compared to the Olympics we just had in Beijing. Um, It was a moment when I think there was quite a bit of optimism about China entering the world stage, certainly a lot of optimism in China about entering the world stage. And Steven Spielberg was hired to serve as a consultant on those opening ceremonies. I don't know if you remember, but the, the opening ceremony of the Beijing Summer Olympics was really quite a spectacle, a sight, a sight to behold. And it was directed by a prominent and well-respected Chinese director named Zhang Yimou, who brought Steven Spielberg in to help him out. It wasn't long after Spielberg's involvement was announced that the actress Mia Farrow and her son Ronan Farrow started publishing commentary pieces in the Wall Street Journal calling out Spielberg's involvement with China. And and at the time, the Chinese government had been supporting the government of Sudan, where there was a, a massive genocide in Darfur. And they, they said, you know, that Spielberg's involvement in the Olympics was a tacit endorsement mm. of that government and their policies. And eventually Spielberg dropped out, but it was really an early sign of some of the political pressure that would come with doing business in China. But I have to say, you know, one of the themes that would emerge when I was reporting this book was just how eventually it seemed almost everyone 
gets back into China or falls back into under China's spell because in 2016 or so, around eight years after those Olympics, Spielberg himself cut a deal with a Chinese company, Alibaba, which started investing in his films. Wow. Now, we're talking with Eric Schwartzel. He's the author of the book Red Carpet, Hollywood, China, and the Global Battle for Cultural Supremacy. It's a terrific book. We're not even scratching the surface of the sorts of things that are in there. Uh, Winnie the Pooh, certainly if there was a non-controversial, innocuous character in the history of cinema and the history of animation, it would be Winnie the Pooh. What was his issue in China? He's a very controversial figure in China because in in China, all social media is monitored. And so any criticism of the government is dangerous, frankly. Um, and and speaking out on social media or um, in public forums against Xi Jinping is, is a no-go. And so the people of China have come up with all these sort of creative ways to talk about things without really talking about them. And one, you know, rather unkind strategy that emerged when talking about Xi Jinping, who's a rather uh, a portlier guy, would be to refer to him as Winnie the Pooh. And when the Chinese authorities were turned on to this, they started scanning for references to Winnie the Pooh and removing those. But they also then stopped importing any Winnie the Pooh merchandise, cartoons, imagery, all Winnie the Winnie the Pooh is essentially persona non grata in China because of that association. What goes on when it comes to censorship and movies that are made here in the United States, maybe films like Red Dawn, World War Z, if they want distribution in China, what kind of changes that do they need to make? Well, so the, the, the process is relatively simple. After a movie is finished, if if it if a studio wants to try to get it into China they will ship it over for Chinese authorities to watch and tell them if it will be approved or not. And so it's only taken a couple high-profile rejections for every studio to absorb what is allowed and what isn't allowed. And there have been also some really high-profile cautionary tales along the lines of what we talked about whenever we were, we were referencing seven years in Tibet. So I'll give you an example, which is in 2009 – MGM wanted to remake the film Red Dawn, which back in the 1980s, I mean, has been coming up quite a bit this week for obvious reasons. Was <laughs> well, about, about Russia. Group, exactly. I've got a group of teenagers who have to help fend off a Soviet invasion of the U.S. Now, that was a Charlie yeah. Sheen film, right? Exactly. Patrick right. Swayze, Charlie Sheen. You know, classic example of 1980s kind of Cold War cinema. MGM wants to remake it, but in 2009, remaking it with Russia as the villain doesn't make any sense. Again, I I appreciate the irony here of, of, of the week we're talking about it. And so when MGM puts it into production, they said, we're going to remake it, but China will be the invading force. And they go and they they have two writers write the script. They shoot the film. They complete production. And then Chinese authorities hear about this plan, and they hear that there is a movie being made of where China is the aggressor and the antagonist, and they make it very clear that this will be a problem. And MGM has a lot to worry about because MGM releases James Bond films, which are massive hits in China. And those James Bond films are not going to be shown in China if MGM releases a movie like this original Red Dawn. 
And so they do something extraordinary. They send this completed film to a special effects company and pay this company a million dollars to secretly swap out every flag, every reference to China and replace it with North Korea. And the film is released as a North Korean invasion of the U.S. and not a Chinese one. And what, what was fascinating was when I went back to do some research for this for my book, I found that at the time it wasn't, it wasn't um, a mystery. People knew that MGM was doing this, but there wasn't a significant amount of pushback, I think because at the time there wasn't tensions between the U.S. and China weren't as high as they are now. It wasn't until years later that I think a lot of critics of Hollywood started to say it's decisions like that that made the film industry complicit in China's rise. Now, uh, and if people tuning in, Eric Schwartzel, the book is Red Carpet, Hollywood, China, and the Global Battle for for Cultural Supremacy. Read this book, please. It's a, it's a real eye-opener. We've seen Hollywood studios, Disney, other studios, whenever a state passes very controversial legislation – whether it's something like uh, abortion legislation in a state like Texas or something like voting rights legislation in a state like Georgia. We've seen repeatedly these Hollywood studios say, well, well, we are pulling our production right out of that state. We can't be part of a state pass such a draconian law. Why do we not seem see that sort of same willingness to stick to your ideological guns when it comes to distribution in China as we do when it comes to production in the United States. It's, you, know, I, you know, I think you've hit on something that, that drives critics of Hollywood and Hollywood's policy toward China absolutely crazy. I mean, I've actually even already seen it um, coming up this week as a lot of the studios pull their films out of Russia, um, saying, you know, why are you acknowledging a humanitarian crisis here but not there? And and I think that for a long time, China operated a little out of sight, out of mind. But and I and I think also that the, the studios knew that the American attention span for controversy in China is relatively short. Um, I think that's changing, though. I think for a while, every time a movie star had to apologize in Mandarin or a, a, com- a company like Disney found itself in hot water for doing business in China. It frankly tended to be a little one-sided in the criticism. It tended to be something that, that politicians usually on the right would would be critical of. I have found, even in the promotion of this book over the past couple of weeks, that it's grown to be more and more of a bipartisan concern. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you answered the next question that I was going to ask about movie studios pulling their films out of Russia in the wake of this uh, invasion of Ukraine. But we haven't seen that same sort of willingness when it comes to standing up for uh, human rights abuses in China. Eric, it's a fascinating book. Uh, You've given me a lot to think about. I hope we can chat again soon. I'm wishing you the best of luck with this book. Anytime. It was my pleasure. Uh, Eric Schwartzel, the book is Red Carpet. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, give me a call, 800-848-9222. Hopefully we'll get Eric back in the next week or two and we'll continue this discussion. 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. 
is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, down, down And the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire The great Johnny Cash here on the other side of Midnight I'm Frank Moreno Marlena Shiva was here John McDonough is here They're both two of my favorites uh, They're going to join me in just a few minutes To go over a wide variety of issues Including President Biden's uh, State of the Union address Which took place just a few hours ago. Now, if you were listening to me yesterday, I described to you how on March 1st I had $107 ballpark in my checking account. And I was terrified that I was sure that I had some debits that were scheduled to come out of my account on the 1st. I don't know if it was $50. I don't know if it was $100. I don't think it was, I don't think it was $150, but... I figured even if it was $100, I'd still be okay. I'd still be able to make it to Friday when I get paid uh, to not get an over-the-limit fee. So then, lo and behold, uh, in the mail yesterday, on the 1st, a check comes for $325. Now, have you seen those cartoons where the character in the cartoon moves so fast that you don't even see – you still see the silhouette of the cartoon there – you just see their imprint of the cartoon, and you just see their dust because they move so fast. That was me when I was running to the bank to deposit this check for $325. So I deposit this check for $325, and I said, Whew, okay, now I don't have to worry about being overdrawn. I'll be okay till Friday. I'll be good. Great. Now, my good fortune continued because a great guy, Brian Peroni, he invited me as his guest at Rayo's last night. So I was at an event earlier with an attorney. Let's just call him Imran. And I'm trying to convince Imran to run for state attorney general. I'm trying to run a slate of candidates for all the statewide offices this year. Governor, lieutenant governor, U.S. Senate, controller, attorney general, uh, different state legislative candidates, Congress. My goal really is to run a third-party slate of candidates for various offices. And my thinking with Imran was he's a registered Democrat. Let him run in the primary against Tish James. And then he won't win the primary, but we can use whatever publicity he gets in the primary to run against uh, Tish in the general as a third-party candidate. That's my plan. So today's the first – yesterday, rather. Yesterday's the first day of petitioning for designating petitioning. So if Imran's going to run, well, I wanted him to start circulating petitions right away. So I said, come meet me at this other event, and I, I'll work on convincing him. So I was working on convincing him, and we're hanging out at that event, and then I had to go to a dinner at Rayo's. And I said, Imran, all right, you can't come to the dinner at Rayo's. My host, Brian Peroni, was very clear. There's seats only for four people. You cannot come to the dinner But if you want to come have a drink, and I've been to Rayo's with with Imran before, and he's always been delightful company. So we go, and the people at Rayo's seem to know Imran. And I go and have dinner with Brian and his friends, Frank and and, uh, uh, Tommy, and Imran goes to the bar. 
and he has a couple of drinks at the bar, and he's talking to the folks there. Now, Rayo's does not accept credit cards. So I finished this dinner, and Imran's about to leave, and he's trying to give them his credit card. And they said, no, we don't accept credit cards. And he said, they, he's got a bill for $50. I said, Imran, you got to give them cash. And he's got no cash. So then I had to go run. Um, I had to find an ATM machine with him. And Rayo's is not the kind of place that you stiff the bill. And I had to go find an ATM machine with him. His ATM machine's not working. So I had to then withdraw $100 out of my hard-earned $325 so that he could go to Rayo's. So then we go to back to Rayo's. I thought I was going to be shot when I came back to Rayo's. Everything was closed made me look like a real jerk. So I'm beginning to rethink my support for Imran for Attorney General. We'll see. It'll largely depend about whether I get reimbursed for this $100 or $200 today. Marlena Shivo, John McDonough, straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. By the way, there's leftover Rayos in the kitchen there. There's some meatballs and some other stuff that I brought from Rayos. You should try this. I left it out there. You should try it. It's really great there. stuff. Yeah, no, it's really good. Have you been to Rayos? Yeah, you should try this. This is good stuff. And I, I did, and I'm, I'm not... Those deviled eggs are still in the refrigerator. So I'll, I'll be honest, I had one more of those deviled eggs today. <laughs> I'm going down with the ship with these deviled eggs. My cause of death will be seven-day-old deviled eggs. No I thought about, about it. What? Yes, no. I, I looked at them. I was like, maybe I will try one. Yeah. Big shout-out to my Aunt Camille. I got the call from her today or yesterday that uh, her egg salad for the week is ready. So I'm excited to pick up that today. Now, I'm also excited that we have two of my favorite people in studio for one of our midnight panel discussions. It is always an interesting time whenever I get to play mad scientists uh, combining different groups of people and uh, from different walks of life and finding out where they land on uh, political issues, social issues, cultural issues. And we have two of my favorites in studio today, Marlena Schiavo, a veteran media producer, satirist, social critic, and comedian. Hello, Marlena. Hello, Frank. Good to see you. Oh, it's good to see you, sort of. I'm a little, I'm a little miffed about our hiatus between our earlier event and then this time we're spending together now because I was very hungry and I could not join I, you. For I brought radio. leftovers. I brought leftovers. It, I don't want to eat at this hour. I wanted to eat at a normal hour, well, but it's okay. You can, you can, um, it's normal for some people. You can do, you can uh, denounce yourself on Friday for me. Fair enough. Talk to Brian Peroni. And John McDonough is here. Cab driver, comic, playwright, and radio talk show host. Hello there, John. Hello, Frank. I got to pretend it's two in the afternoon, not two in the morning here. Oh, please, man up. Come on. Uh, John, last time you were here, you were promoting a play, your play, mm-hmm. which I still haven't seen, but I, I, it's gotten rave reviews. And then we had John, and we promoted the show and encouraged everybody to come see it. And then New York One did a segment on it, which was great, and, you know, they encouraged people to see it. And then, sure enough, you sold out two or three days. And then I see this big social media thank you to New York One 
for what a great job they did promoting the play. I couldn't help but think, oh, well, you know, if only there was an, any other media outlet that also played a role in promoting this play. I guess I, there wasn't. Uh, no, I should have mentioned that WABC was first before New York won. Right, but uh, I couldn't help but notice that omission. The only thing is when New York won ran, the show sold out within an hour I see. of the first thing running. And then the whole weekend was gone. See, well, the thing is WABC has listeners all over the country, mm-hmm. not just in the New York area. Right. So that's the, the, that's they, the thing. They were getting down to the East Village. Uh, that's the thing. Now, uh, Marlena, you and I were together earlier yesterday. At a book signing of for Jeremy Murphy's new book, F Off Chloe. What were your impressions of that uh, that book signing? Oh, I, I felt like Jeremy was my spirit animal. I mean, he he and I have the same sense of humor and he definitely has the same perspective and attitude that I have. And I envy his uh, book, and I'm that's and and I congratulate him because it looks awesome. It, it is a great book. It's on, honestly one of the greatest books that uh, that I've read in a long, long time. It's a really, really well done book, and I encourage everybody. And we'll have Jeremy on again next week to uh, to talk about it. But uh, it was a good party too, and it was an open bar, which is nice on Fat Tuesday. Especially. Uh, yes, I mean it's better when you can get maybe a couple tacos with that that we apparently didn't see. I love how there was food at the other side of this party, and we never got to it. That I'm would still have, that would have that. actually like there remedied was, all our issues. There was one woman, um, Shara, the friend of a friend who was at this uh, at this party, who claimed that there was all sorts of very interesting food at this thing. We didn't see any of this food. No, but she saw it and she ate it, and she said it was delicious. Well, I, again, I, I kind of <laughs> think she was pulling our leg uh, because I didn't hear any other reports of food. I'll tell you what they did do at this book party with, uh, that I really liked. I've never seen anything like this. In, when you checked your coat, they had you, instead of getting a ticket and, you know, your number 31, here's your number 31 ticket, bring back the number 31. Don't lose it because if you lose it, then it's going to be disastrous implications. They had you put your phone number in to the coat check and then just t- give them your phone number at the end of the night and then get your coat back. I saw that, and that is very convenient. However, I could see that backfiring as well because oh, sure. sure I saw <laughs> saw how quickly the woman swiped your number and I could see there being a mix up there and then being like, I don't know. It's it, But it, yeah, hey, you got your coat back, so good for you. Yeah, I'm sure my number's been sold to five telemarketers uh, by now. John McDonough, as I mentioned, you are, in addition to being a playwright and a radio talk show host, you are a taxi driver and you've been on sort of a one-man crusade over the last 18 months decrying what you've described as New York's new shanty towns, which are the outdoor dining huts. Mm. It looks like we are getting closer and closer to seeing the idea of outdoor dining in these shanty huts, as you call them, th- being made permanent. Give me a reaction. Well, to that. I mean, just New York City's on a campaign to make it virtually impossible to make a living as a driver. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't – you could be a taxi driver, a FedEx, or delivering around the city. I mean, just driving around today – the amount of bicycles and scooters and up on the sidewalk going down one ways and then you got the bike lanes, the bus lanes. I mean, New York now, Manhattan in particular, is just one lane uh, almost on every avenue that you can go up and down. And and they're making it virtually impossible for anyone to make a living because I, – I, I totally agree. I was just having this conversation tonight when I had our little hiatus and I was with my friend Sarah – I actually like hopped a curb at one point going downtown to go see her because, like you said, all the lanes are filled up and then these huts make it impossible. Yeah. If an Uber driver or anybody pulls over to let somebody out, 
I actually got stuck between a hut and, and an Uber who was inching up slowly. I guess he was waiting for this person to come back out. And it's like I'm getting – I have to look to my left to make sure I'm not going to run over someone on a scooter or a bike. And I have to look to my right to make sure my, my um, rear views don't, like, smash the Uber that's taking up all the space. It's absolutely absurd. And, and nobody pedals bicycles anymore. I see everybody on a bicycle, but nobody's right, pedaling. Right, a motorized bicycle. Motor- and they're yeah, going true. like, you know, we have to go below 25 or, or we'll get a ticket. Because of all these cameras are out here. These scooters, they're going 30, 40 miles an hour up and down and these Vespas and everything else. And, the, you know, we're the ones getting the tickets. But the people on these e-bikes or whatever they call them these days, and they're going down one ways. And if the traffic's heavy, they go on the sidewalk. And I'm more afraid now walking around New York, not of the traffic, because the traffic can't go anywhere. I mean, you're bumping a bumper. But these bikes, they're going to they're going to kill more people oh, yeah. than cars. But, but uh, no those huts will, too, not just yep. because of the drivers, but the people sitting in them. I wouldn't even want to be in one of them because of all of this confusion. Well, especially now. Why is it necessary that you can dine indoors even now without a vaccine passport? I mean, why can't Almost. why can't I, you just in, dine I, indoors? I, I was in the East Village over the weekend. It was twenty degrees. People were sitting in them at, at, instead of going into the restaurant. I, I couldn't understand it. Right, big hats on, gloves, and and they had a meal in front of. Well, them. they're free I from mean, COVID, but they're going to catch pneumonia yeah, in, in one I, of these. It's, it's just it's bizarre well, behavior. Did you see SNL do a sketch on this um, over the weekend? How they were. They were actually going through, uh, like, they were at a dinner, and they were going through all the conversations that have happened over the past, like, year, and how there's been, like, people at odds with each other because of all of their different views about what's going on. And one of the jokes had to, was about how they wouldn't let you dine indoors in the restaurant, but then they made these smaller closed-in restaurants outside right. where everybody piled on top of each other. But I w- will say the only benefit to maybe some of them is that they made them really cute and quaint. And I could see it being, like, fun for uh, like for the novelty of it all, but it's, it is absolutely not efficient, and they need to get rid of them. Uh, it, it, and it doesn't appear that that's happening anytime soon. It seems like just the, the opposite is happening. Right, John? I, I mean, like, you can't make a living in New York. You can't park in New York anymore. Mm-hmm. The spaces they take up and the city bike spaces, the city bikes should be on the sidewalk if you want to park them. Let them take up space here. But they're literally taking parking spaces around. And now if you try to go anywhere around Manhattan, it is so difficult to park. I mean, it was always tough. But now it's 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 next to impossible. And even there's hardly any more parking lots left. So you just got to keep moving and moving, and, and then you got to take the subway and hope you don't get pushed onto the tracks. So, I mean, there's your options. Uh, talking with John McDonough, who in addition to being a taxi driver, a playwright, and a radio talk show host, also an Army veteran. Uh, we'll get his take on what's happening militarily in just a minute. Speaking of parking, though, Marlena, we were at this uh, Jeremy Murphy book party last night, and you you parked. You found a legal spot <laughs> that was legal after 6 p.m. Yes, and you almost seemed to refuse to believe that it was legal. <laughs> you said, oh, no, no, maybe I should move it up 20 or 30 feet. I said, no, we're already 40 minutes late. Let's just go in. And you said, no, 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 let's move it up so at least I can see where it is. <laughs> I said, no, look at the sign. The sign says it's and a legal you, spot. Uh, Why were you so neurotic? skeptical of because this spot being because legal? Because I never trust the spots in New York. I, I lived here for 15 years, and I've definitely gotten hosed before. Plus, you know, the last thing I would ever want – is for my car to get towed. Like, it's one thing to get a ticket. Who cares? You pay it. You move on. But, the, the like, the idea of it getting towed. Now, nowadays, it's probably not as high, high of a priority for the NYPD. 
But who knows? Um, so I just, that's all. I got a little neurotic about it because I never, but there's always multiple caveats on oh, those signs. You need a law degree. You walk up to the <laughs> sign and you look at, all right, two to three in the morning, they told, <laughs> they can't, you got to move it now. You got alternate signs. Well, this one was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and then it was, you know, and nothing between 11 p.m. and 6. I was, all right, whatever. I'm like, I'm somewhere in, in the window of And you survived. No tow, no ticket, no nothing. Yeah. And I actually found a spot downtown right by my friend's apartment. I had, like, the parking gods on my side today, but that is very You're rare. ahead of the game? You're yeah. ahead of the game. Yes, All right. John, um, you are – is it fair to say you're on the left politically or is, is yeah, that accurate? Yeah, no, no. I, listen, being on BAI for 40 years, you sort of have to lean a little bit left, I mean, if you want to stay on the air. A little bit left would be a nice change <laughs> for that station. But um, so uh, one of the things that uh, Kyle Smith in the New York Post, who is not one of my favorite writers – he uh, did this column a day or two ago, ranting, that's the best description that I can find for it, about the people that he described as uh, pro-Russian stooges on the right and on the left. And on the right, he called out people like uh, Pat Buchanan and Tucker Carlson. On the left, he called out people like Glenn Greenwald and uh, Katrina Vanden Heuvel. I'm guessing that you, as somebody that's on the left, you're not in favor of America ratcheting up sanctions and military action against Russia in this most recent incursion, are you? No. I, I, I mean, I, I would be coming from the thing about NATO. Like uh, when I was in the army, I was stationed in Germany. I was part of the NATO forces where there was war games all the time. And it was to show the Soviet Union at that time, this is the military might that we have. And people were getting killed. Like, you know, when people hear about uh, we're having war games in Poland, these are big toys. These are tanks. These are deuce and a half. People are jumping out of planes and getting hurt. So while, while we're calling it war games, it's far from war games because you are preparing to do something. And an army always wants to do something. I'll never forget when I got out of basic training at Fort Jackson, South, I wanted to kill somebody. I had just learned for a couple of months how to do it. And I would say, well, this is great training. Let's go somewhere. And then you get stationed in Germany and it's, it starts wearing off. The, 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 to go out and kill. But, you know, I, I want to see this all ended. And now with NATO ramping up and Joe Biden, and here's the other thing I can't stand, another chicken hawk. You know, we, we did a lot on Trump, and I do not like Trump. Trump got four deferments to get out of the Vietnam War. Biden got five deferments to get out of the Vietnam War, and he's up So he's there. a little, little more successful than yeah, Trump. Yeah, but th- nobody investigates. How did he get that? He, he said he had asthma, but he was a lifeguard and, and he was playing football. But, you know, when Trump had it, man, they tracked down that doctor that found the bone spur on his foot and everything. Let's do an investigation on Biden. So uh, are you doing something this weekend opposing military uh, oh, intervention? Now, now you brought the, there's going to be an anti-war demonstration at Times Square, three o'clock on Saturday. And I'm going to be one of the MCs. And if you see the list of people that are going to – every disgruntled person in the Lower East Side will be making their way to Times Square. And there's about 40 to 50 different groups from Code Pink to everybody against everything. And it's from against NATO, against uh, Ukraine because of their past background, against Russia. So I, I don't know. I'm just going to be introducing How did people. you end up as the MC of this thing? Because of BAI. The I guy see. that was organizing it knows me from the station, and he said, uh, listen, do you want to emcee it? I looked at the list. I said, oh, my God. He goes – and then he goes to me. He goes, listen, each person can only speak for 30 seconds. Right. I, Good I, luck. Are you, are you crazy? Good 30 luck. seconds. 
They're going to be denouncing America, Russia, NATO, Europe, uh, you know. So we got to give them a couple Themselves. of minutes. I can't help yeah. it. This is the kind of thing that I should be emceeing. I would go, but oh, I don't want to go and just be a well, regular person. Well, you used person. to emcee. I saw you downtown. I know. This is a tailor-made yeah. uh, <laughs> event for me. But I'm not, I don't want to go and just be a regular person. I want to be able to introduce people. Now, with uh, everything going on, John, like, um, are you, are you, do you feel ramped up to kill somebody again <laughs> between no, the driving I, I, issues? I, 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 I've gotten over that training, you, you know, but that's what you train for. You're 18 year old. You're a dummy. You're going through all this training and that's, it, it, you know, it's, it does its job. Mm. But now that I got out I'm with Veterans for Peace and we're trying to end the wars and I just want to give my perspective when we talk about the, the State of the Union later on about some of the statements that Biden made tonight. I mean, I, I hope some of the stuff he says comes true, but, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric. Mm. Uh, Marlena, and we'll, we'll get back to the State of the Union in uh, just a minute. I have uh, visited you occasionally on my my wife, Rachel, and I. We make a yearly visit to Cape May, New Jersey, yeah. and we occasionally will pop in and see you. You live at the Jersey Shore as well. But and by will, occasionally, you mean one time. Once, but, but what an occasion it was. <laughs> what an occasion it was. And uh, it was fun. Good time had by all. We had pizza. You guys paid for the pizza. It was win-win. <laughs> so anyway, there was a fascinating story this week about a man Dining at the, a restaurant that I go to every year, the Lobster House, and I've not never gotten anything from the Lobster House other than a very large bill. And um, th- a man found a, an honest-to-God pearl in a clam at the Lobster House in Cape May, New Jersey? Yes, he did. He and his wife were out dining, and he, I guess he ordered uh, clams, and they found a pearl and they're not going to cash it in was basically the gist of that story. They, it was a very rare find, and they, they found out it, they, it might be worth a few thousand dollars, but they decided to keep it for themselves. My goodness. Do you imagine if they swallowed it? I guess it wouldn't really make a difference in the end, right? Well, I mean, well, it makes its way end. out. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, why are they keeping it for themselves instead of instead of selling it? Probably memorabilia. I have no uh, idea. I guess that's kind of cool. But I, didn't see a, I didn't see a picture of them with the pearl. Maybe it's like Unmarried with Children. They, they have the man that met Andy Griffith, who's the big tourist attraction in, in one small town. Uh, John, have you ever found a pearl while dining on clams anywhere, whether it's in Cape May, New Jersey, or elsewhere? I probably wouldn't be ordering anything that there would be a pearl in. I'm not a big fan of fish or shellfish or anything like that. Even so though there's unless a chance it was to win something, that's the or, fun or of it. a piece of chicken or steak. I mean, that, that's the only way I would ever find it. Have a you pearl. ever found a pearl of wisdom in any of your... Uh... Well, in a Chinese <laughs> fortune cookie. Yeah, imagine, yeah right? that's some pearl of wisdom. All right, we're going to continue yeah. with uh, John McDonough and Marlena Shiva. If you, have, if you have questions, this is a panel, a very esteemed panel, that probably has answers. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Very pleased to be here with uh, John McDonough. You can hear John McDonough regularly on another radio station. Uh, He's also a taxi driver, a comic, a playwright, 
and uh, an Army veteran, Marlena Shivo here as well, a veteran media producer. She's produced for some of the boldest names in the business, um, Bill O'Reilly, Nancy Grace, Al Gore, a host of others. A, she's also a satirist, a social critic, and uh, someone whose musings are certainly worth following and uh, who is unabashedly politically incorrect. We are just a few hours removed from President Biden's State of the Union address. And one of the things that uh, President Biden spoke about last night was actually what to do about some of the sick veterans that are in our country. Many of you have been there. I've been in and out of Iraq and Afghanistan over 40 times. These burn pits that incinerate waste, the waste of war, medical and hazards material, jet fuel and so much more. And they come home, many of the world's fittest and best trained warriors in the world, never the same. Headaches, numbness, dizziness, a cancer that would put them in a flag-draped coffin. I know. One of those, one of those soldiers was my son, Major Bo Biden. I don't know for sure if the burn pit that he lived near, that his hooch was near in Iraq and earlier than that in Kosovo, is the cause of his brain cancer, the disease of so many other troops. But I am committed to find out everything we can. Uh, John McDonough, as uh, the only person in the studio that's uh, served the country in uniform, what was your reaction to what uh, the president said there? Well, as I could say, I've seen this movie before. Agent Orange and veterans have been fighting since the Vietnam War about getting help for the effects of Agent Orange. So now here we are talking about burn pits. And now Biden has directly connected his son to maybe getting the cancer, the brain cancer from these burn pits. But here's one of the problems. And this is what Vets for Peace are fighting with Agent Orange. And they will be fighting about these burn pits is that. They would have you believe we invade these countries and the people that live there are not affected by these burn pits or Agent Orange. So when he's talking about we have to do the best we can for the veterans, he also should be saying, and anybody else that lives in Iraq and Afghanistan should get the same type of help. We are the ones that put these burn pits in there. We are the ones that dropped the bombs with Agent Orange that affected generations of Vietnamese. And now it'll be generations of Iraqis, Afghanistan people that – they should be included in whatever's going to go on in Congress because we came up with these brilliant ideas. They talk about environmentalists. They're burning all these hazardous uh, materials, and they're having the Iraqi people living nearby, and they're having the American soldiers nearby, and now they're coming down with the cancers. But you know what? The way our country goes, it'll be 10 to 20 years. People will be dying off, and then there'll be some sort of uh, – Legislation that will go through Congress, the burn pits legislation will come through, but it won't help the people in the two countries where the burn pits were. Uh, Marlena, I know you've talked about how you voted for President Biden, but you've been pretty critical of a lot of the things that he's done since uh, since taking office. Did you watch any of the State of the Union? And if you did, what were your impression? I did. I, I watched a, a good portion of it, actually. And um, I, you know, I just think that he he says a lot of things that are contradicting how he even won this election. Like, you know, the Democrats were touting BLM all the way into the election, and now they're talking about funding the police. All of a sudden, now they're going to fund the police. That's crazy. And then um, he talked about women needing to leave their jobs 
because of um, not being able to uh, afford child care. And it's like, um, wake up. The past couple of years, people had to leave their jobs because their kids were home from school and, and there was no one there. They needed an adult in the house. And not everybody can work from home. So that that was didn't even make any sense. Um, and I also felt like um, he, he, you know, he talked about job creations um, and 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 I, you know, I have some news for him, you know, telling people to go back to the office is exactly an accomplishment in job creations. It's like a lot of people lost their jobs and a lot of people now people are going back to work or looking for work. And so if there's an uptick in people getting jobs, it's just because there were a whole ton of people that were out of work for a long time. Yeah, and uh, what one issue which uh, I don't really feel he dealt with adequately at all was the issue of veteran suicide, which uh, kills a lot more people than uh, than combat does every year. And uh, a group that I have been very pleased to partner with is called the Gold Shield. And whether you're an individual or if you have a business, you can uh, partner with the Gold Shield as well. Their website is thesimpletruth.us. I'm a, they're not an advertiser, but I'm a big, big believer in what they do. And I, I hope you'll check them out, thesimpletruth.us. Uh, so uh, check that out when you can. Now, uh, President Biden had his uh, sort of uh, big statesman-like moment, the State of the Union, a lot of the local Democratic elected officials have gotten a great deal of criticism for their inconsistencies with respect to COVID protocols. You, Marlena, as a New Jerseyan, have been very, very critical of your governor, Phil Murphy. Now, we're seeing the mask mandates are going to be lifted in New York. We're mm-hmm. seeing uh, you're not going to need a vaccine to go into a restaurant or something. New Jersey doesn't seem far behind. I would think you, of all people, should be the most ecstatic person there is. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I guess I guess my issue is, is that I don't really trust any of it. And I said that when he announced that he was lifting the masks because he announced it so far in advance and said, it, you know, March 7th was the target date. And it was very like black and white. But then he kind of rolled back what he said about a week later, which I said he was going to do. At first, I thought it was going to be about a variant. But he basically wants to put in like into policy and in, into the language of this policy a sort of kill switch so he can take the power from the districts um, whenever he pleases and reinstate the mask mandate if, quote, need be, which I don't trust that. Um, I don't trust what they're all doing right now. I definitely think it's um, they're just trying to make themselves look better for the midterms um, and it's not going to work out for them whatsoever. And I don't like the idea of them talking about data as being the barometer for this and the CDC, because then, then what is this? Is, is this the new normal? And I hate that term, but is that what we're going to do now? We're just going to look at charts and say, "Oh, wait, it's time for masks again." I'm not doing this with my kids. Now, he was the first to announce it. He's sticking to March seventh, okay, because he wants people to the schools to prepare for this unmasking event. Right? As you if, wouldn't as think if, there's much to prepare for. Yeah, it's, it's you called, don't have to wear a mask. You just have to take your mask off if you if you choose to that is bizarre to me but also what's the difference between today which is march 2nd and march 7th what's going to change it kind of reminds me of like the smoking and non-smoking in restaurants back in the day there's absolutely no difference between the two right like so i and now connecticut and new york announced they're taking off their masks and days later their masks are off he announces it a month ago and he's sticking 
Like he, we're, we are still. So why is he doing that? What, 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 three days. Is it just out of stubbornness, or do you think they? I mean, well, his response because people did ask him. Now that New York and, and and Connecticut are you know going maskless, you know, are you going to up the date? He said he's sticking to it so that the schools can prepare for the new um, like maskless and you know mask optional school school day. But I'm like, there's nothing to prepare for. I think he's just biding his time because he wants to get this policy in place where he has the power to reinstate the mask. Uh, John McDonough, as a taxi driver, how much preparation do you need to do <laughs> to have people not I, wear their masks while you drive? Them? Listen, it's human nature and it's with Murphy and Cuomo now at his commercial, but uh, that you don't want to admit you were wrong. And and I think that plays a lot a large part in it that uh, none of these politicians want to admit that maybe we got some of this wrong because I've never heard anyone uh, say that. But listen, as a cab driver, I, I live in Queens, not that far from Elmhurst Hospital. I, I I had the fear of God putting me with all the the, the freezers uh, being put out there and the bodies being put in, and you know I was first online at the VA hospital getting my vaccinations and getting the booster. And then I, I still got uh, the, the virus. But then they told you, well, that's good. Now you got the antibodies. So, I, I mean, you know, I'm still looking over my shoulder because, you know, I'm getting older and I, I, I can't really afford to be getting these viruses that are going around. Well, that know? leads to a very public confrontation that we're seeing from two very prominent doctors, uh, probably two of the most famous doctors in the country right now. Dr. Oz, Dr. Mehmet Oz, who's running for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania, and Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is now, I think, serving his ninth presidential administration or something along those lines. Um, what exactly is the dispute, Marlena, between Dr. Oz and Dr. Fauci? Well, well Dr. Oz blatantly came out um, in on social media saying that Dr. Fauci was wrong, period. He was wrong about COVID, and he wants to debate him. Um, he said it in January. Then he said it again in, in February that he wants to do a, a debate doctor to doctor about covid. And he basically wants to hammer him about covid. Um, but oddly enough, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Frank or John, um, have you seen Dr. Fauci in the media much lately? He seems to be cutting a much lower profile these days. And I actually did a search because I feel like I haven't seen mm -hmm. him. Not that I miss him at all. Uh, but he. No, and you don't see him on the Sunday shows. He used to be every week. That was like his job. Oh, yeah. And now I think the last appearance was maybe maybe about a month ago at this point, maybe a little less, maybe three weeks ago, which is so odd and interesting at the same time, all surrounding the CDC's updated uh, guidance and everything, you know, being relaxed and the midterms. I just feel like it's very orchestrated, but that could be very conspiracy theorist of Oh, well, me. we're all for conspiracy theories uh, <laughs> during the overnight hours. What about it, John? Do you see anything to this um, weekend at Fauci's theory? No, he's just not being asked on the shows. It's not as if he uh, promotes himself and goes into these. The, the, whoever's booking these shows are just not booking him now at the moment. Now, they, they might be changing their policy. I don't think Fauci's changing his if he was asked, he'd be running to go on these Sunday shows. But if he's not on them, it's not as if, uh, you know, he doesn't want to be on it. So you got the bookers on that. I'm, I'm more worried about, like, the, this Dr. Oz. Now, I knew Trump from page six here in New York. I had never watched The Apprentice. And 
that's where he really made his name. And and I hate the thought of reality show guys getting into politics. Now you have this Dr. Oz. I don't even know what show he's on. I hear him every once in a while. I, I don't watch a lot of these reality shows. And now he's going to be what? The next senator of Pennsylvania, governor, or the, then maybe he'll be the next president. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that, right? So we're looking at what's happening in Ukraine now, right? And we see the... Mayor of Kiev was a heavyweight right. championship boxer, uh, Klitschko, and the president of Ukraine was a comedian and an actor who was on Dancing with the Stars and who played a, uh, a president on television. You can't help but think now, as they're being pummeled with missiles and so forth, maybe they should have picked somebody other than a comedian, maybe a general or somebody that had some experience in diplomacy or foreign relations, hmm. or doing something other than we'll being get a, on we'll Dancing get a with new the Stars. We'll get a reality show, Dancing with the Bombs from the Ukraine. Well, exactly. <laughs> That'll be the next show. Exactly. Uh, Marlena, we're also seeing um, a very interesting story about the 20 most common passwords that um. have been leaked on the uh, dark web. Now... I use the same password for everything unless I have to just use numbers. Then I use another password just for that. Unless I have to use one that includes both numbers and letters, then I use I have another password that I use for that. Unless there's a, a password that has to use numbers, letters, and non-alphanumeric digits, then I have another password that I use just for that. Apparently, we now know the most common passwords thanks to this, uh, this, this, the work of these hackers on the dark web. I mean, yeah, and and they're very repetitive. Uh, the first one being one two three four five six. That's, oh, that's like, a good one. Yeah, right. <laughs> for a while, I was using A B one two three four five six capital A lowercase B one two three four five six. Um, and then this other one, QWERTY, which I was like, what is that? And you, if you look on the keyboard, it's just you're going across the top right, of the top keyboard. Right. I, I, my my sister-in-law's cat is named QWERTY. He was just uh, – we watched him one week. He was a terrible cat to watch. Terrible. What? Wait, how did they name him QWERTY? I, I, I don't know. Maybe that was their – anyway. Then, then you've got things like default and, um, you know, password, this other like – uh, very scary one six 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 whatever. Um, this is great. They can hack. I don't understand number fourteen though. It's just zero. Like what p- password can be one character? Yeah, no, that that doesn't even unless make any they spell sense. it out. Um, no, but it's just the, the, the number the number zero. Okay, fine. But this is the thing. All right, the, the, they hacked into all of these, and they're the, they're the top twenty. I can't hack into my own YouTube account at this point. It's not mine. It's actually one I set up for my daughter, and it's very long and windy and complicated, but I'll just say this. I have been on the phone with Google because um, it's a Gmail account that's connected to it and whatever. I th- They will not let me into this account. I'm like, I do not remember the password for the secondary handle that I created for this account I thought I did, and they're like, put in the last password. You know how many passwords I've had? So this, I really like to talk to one of these hackers because Google cannot help me uh, get into my own account, and I would like one of these people to actually it's, help It's interesting. Me. My, my drunken friend Imran, who I took to an ATM machine <laughs> to try and get cash so he could pay the bill at Rayo's that he ran up at the bar, he kept giving me his four-digit PIN number, and it turned out to continually be inaccurate, and that's why I had to use my ATM card. But it was very frustrating. Not only did I have to deduct 100 or $200 from my own account, but then I had to pay that 99-cent ATM fee, which I just hate, and I'm hoping he will reimburse me today once he uh, sobers up a bit. But what's, what's Fat Tuesday for if it's not for making poor decisions? Uh, John, what about you? What are your passwords that you I, use on everything? I, I don't know. 
and I dread any time it pops up putting your password. And then they say if you don't get it within – it's almost like Wordle. If you don't get it within the first six tries, <laughs> you're gone for 24 hours. They said do not reapply because you, you, we've now locked your account. And, like, I, I do dread it. If you lose your phone or your laptop and they say, well, now you've got to reenter every time, I, I, I just freak out and then you got to get started. And this is one reason why you have kids. Your Carmine will be the guy. They'll be going, all right, Dad. What, what is it? Facebook? Okay. Here it is. I just got you back online. So that's that's one reason uh, for having kids. Well, they, he, they he should that. focus on trying to sleep for more than an hour and a half at a time <laughs> so that his his first mother his mother's in a better mood when I get home. That's uh, <laughs> that's what he should be working on. All right. We're going to continue with uh, Marlena Shivo and John McDonough in just a minute. We will take a few of your calls at 800-848-9222. A wide variety of subjects that we're going to cover in the course of the next 21 minutes. We're just getting started. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. I tell you, you've not lived until you've been to Rayo's, walked out with someone who didn't pay their bill with the assurance to the staff there, who can be quite intimidating, that you're going to come back and then come back after they've closed, but there's still six guys that work there waiting outside the restaurant. That was precisely my experience uh, last night. If you want to see that image, you can do so on my Instagram page, at Morano Vision. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. See, the, I, I do lead a pretty interesting life, I have to say. And the only way to see all the photos of everything I'm doing is to follow me on all forms of social media. If you follow me on Facebook, for instance, you'll see the event I was at for Jeremy Murphy's book party with uh, uh, Lauren Conlin and Marlena Shivo and Rita Cosby. Follow me there, facebook.com slash Fan. If you follow me on Twitter, at Frank Morano, you'll see me with Rudy Giuliani and Andrew Giuliani. And if you follow me on uh, Instagram, at Vision. You will see this uh, scene at Rayo's. Big shout out to Brian Peroni for inviting me to uh, be my, uh, you know, be a schnorrer at uh, Rayo's today. And he put paid, which was even nicer of him. Now, we are talking with John McDonough and uh, Marlena Shivo about a wide variety of uh, subjects. We'll take your calls in just a minute. Uh, Marlena, before we get there, though, there is uh, an interesting story that I think many of our listeners may not be up on, and it has to do with a pizza-making vending machine. Now, you talk about something which should have come out 20, 30, 40 years ago. I mean, this has got to be like a a dream come true. For whom? See, that's the thing. I I don't really want a vending machine Mm. making my pizza in three minutes, although this particular vending machine... Um, was invented and is now being um, pre-ordered by all different brands of pizza uh, companies um, because, you know, this is going to be obviously a hot item on campuses for sure, I would imagine. And probably they eat, they eat anything on campus. Dominoes they eat on there. Yeah. I mean, you eat Domino's. No, I right? do not. <laughs> I have no, I have no, I do not eat Domino's. You would. No, I would not. Why would you say such if, a thing? If you were drinking and Domino's was the only 
thing that you, that was available to you, would you eat Domino's or would you just starve? If I was in an airplane crash and without food for eight days, I'd eat my best friend who was dead as well. But you won't. You don't see me ordering him up at a diner anywhere. Okay, simmer down. All right. So anyway, so, so would you eat pizza out of a vending machine? No, and I think this is heresy. Um, particularly anybody who lives in New York. Uh, I went to one of Colin Quinn's plays, and it, it and he brought up a point that it only happens in New York. When you go into a pizzeria, you stare at the pizza to see which is the freshest. And when a guy goes to pull, you go, no, 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 I want the other slice. Or if you're ordering Sicilian and he's trying to get you maybe yesterday's slice that he has stuck in with the Sicilian. <laughs> and New Yorkers are, are famous for doing this. No, 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 I want a corner. And I want the fresh one. Well, give me a middle slice. You don't get that anywhere else in the country where the person goes in and picks the slice they want. You usually just say, uh, give me a slice, wherever, whatever, you're Boston or California. They just give you a slice. But in New York, you eye up every Oh, yeah, pie. no question. And it, because they always try to get the night before, they try to slip in a couple of the older slices now, there. Now, is this vending yeah, but, machine by the slice or by the personal pie? Do we know? See, they didn't actually mention that, and they also didn't mention what the cost would be. I see. But you can select... Your crust, your sauce, your toppings. So I would imagine it is like a small personal pie. It still sounds gross to me. I, I don't think there's on, on in any circumstance I would ever eat this, no. except if I were maybe stumbling around the streets at two o'clock in the morning and there was nothing left but this pizza vending machine. Uh, that is that. Well, one of the things that people I think bristled initially at, but what is now ubiquitous, and I'm enjoying the fruits. These K cup coffee machines, which are pretty simple. You know, you just pick. Whatever kind of coffee you want, you take a little pod, press a button, boom, your coffee is made. Uh, There's an interesting article on the Huffington Post exploring whether or not it's better to drink coffee in the morning or the afternoon. What's the consensus among the experts? You know, I was actually so disappointed by this story because at first I was like, great, I'm going to get some coffee advice. I am an avid coffee drinker. And it really comes down to the person and how they're affected by caffeine. Uh-huh. And, and I mean, we already know this, though. Don't drink caffeine after a certain hour if it makes you jittery or wake, wakes you up. The only thing I found sort of odd about this coffee drinking fiasco was that they're saying if you are an average uh, – someone who tolerates caffeine, like on an average level – um, you know, drink coffee before you f- need to feel alert, like a half hour ahead of time. I'm like, okay. But also, it says that you could stay alert for one to six hours. Have you ever had a cup of coffee that kept you alert for six straight hours? One <laughs> hour I can see, maybe an hour and a half. What a side of Coke. <laughs> or Adderall. A little eight ball with the uh, yeah, coffee? Yeah. 800-848-WABC. Tom is in Rockland County. Tom, you're on with Marlena Shivo and John McDonough. Hello. Hey, Frank, how are you? Well, I'd say on a scale of one to ten, I'm about an eight. Okay. Well, listen, my uh, a couple things. I'm a produce distributor. Ooh. I work out at Hunts Point. And with those uh, food things outside, the taking up the lanes, it's almost an impossibility to make deliveries. You know, we deliver on 46th Street, Restaurant Row, and uh, the former Brazil Brazil is the only spot available to make. So everybody's fighting just to get over there to uh, get the one spot that's available. After 7 o'clock in the morning, they're giving tickets. 
So, you know, it's uh, it's a really, really unfortunate. And the restaurants are uh, happy because the unvaccinated go outside or people that choose to do also. And uh, it's free rent. But meanwhile, look, between that and the bicycle lanes and everything else, it's it's almost an impossibility. I was in the city yesterday on 12th Street, 3rd Avenue. We went to a restaurant, and uh, I, I'm in disbelief how many restaurants are out of business. So, you know, I, I, have, I, I just don't think that these boots are, are making a big, you know, making these restaurants survive. All right. Well, thank you, Tom. The interesting thing about that call is Tom told Molly he wanted to talk about Ukraine. Imagine if uh, he said he wanted to talk about China or Iraq, where we would be. Uh, it, it was interesting, and uh, we'll continue with your calls in a moment at 800-848-9222. I am, you know, again, now that I had $100 or to, uh, I think it was $200, deducted from my account that I didn't expect yesterday. I am going to make an effort to take my cans and bottles to the grocer tomorrow and cash them all in and use the proceeds of those cans and bottle redemption to buy a bunch of scratch-off tickets in the hopes of winning a lot of money. A gentleman in Massachusetts, a place where John McDonough spent a lot of time, actually stopped for ginger ale and won a million dollars in a scratch-off. Now, this is probably the best advertisement against Coca-Cola and Sprite there is. <laughs> I am just – I don't know why these these stories always pop into my my feed. It, it, they only aggravate me, and I, I really do like to do more uplifting stories, and it's sure, surely uplifting for this man who won the million dollars. But, yeah, he gets thirsty. He pops into a convenience store. He gets a ginger ale, buys one scratch-off ticket, and wins a million dollars. He takes the lump sum of 600000 and I'm thinking to myself, why? Why can I just not get the one scratch off that this, you know, that these people keep getting? This is the third time I've been with Frank, <laughs> with you, Frank, and have talked about a story of people winning. Although we've had people who had double the wins, right? Like yeah. $2 million on a scratch off, go back, get another scratch off, win another $2 million. It's like I can't even win. $10 on a scratch. What about you, uh, John? I, I, you I would rather with them? them do a story. Here's this schlub that he's going into the bodega for the 10,000th uh, time, bought the scratch off, and didn't win. Because well, he's in the majority. Well, exactly. Right. The, like, that, that's the story. This guy winning. It's not it, news it, it, if a dog bites a man. Right, right. But the, it, it is such a losing proposition, these, these scratch offs. I, I mean, all right, this guy won. And now, now everybody's rushing down to think, oh, I'm going to be like that guy. I'm going to get that scratch And then there's off. an app. There's an app that gives you an order of like, Ugh. so there's like some sort of algorithm that goes on with these, the printing of these tickets. And if you have this app, I do not have it. You can sort of go on and see where they are and you can sort of gauge whether or not you can get the winning ticket or you can get closer to it. I have had 20 like tickets at a time given to me as like, you know, in a birthday card or whatever, yeah. or my stocking at Christmas, you know, not, I mean, maybe $2, maybe wow. a free ticket. Yeah. And then you take the $2 and buy more scratch. <laughs> yeah. well, I, mean, it's just, I call it reinvesting. Yeah. I, I call it reinvesting. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, look, ginger ale sales are through the roof since this story broke, which is great. 800-848-WABC, uh, Dave's in Bayonne. Hello there, Dave. Hello. Um, just before I get to my point. 
just before I get to my point, um, I wanted to say, uh, first of all, about the gas. I grew up in New York, and it was part of my childhood experience. To actually, uh, my my dad would let me uh, fill up the gas sometimes. So it was actually good for my childhood. Wonderful. But uh, I'd hate to see what would have hap- would have happened to you if you didn't get that experience. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, I wanted to say about the State of the Union. First of all, uh, President Biden. It, look. He he. First, he says like big pharma made billions of dollars, and uh, they didn't pay a dime in taxes. Well, they only made billions of dollars because he made us. He made everyone get vaccinated. I feel like he was very tone deaf tonight, and I feel like if he would have apologized and said, you know, guys, I messed up, but I want to do better in the in the future, and we're going to open the the gas pipelines, and we're going to stop supporting Russian gas, and all those things, then I would have actually been pro him, even though I'm I really was never rooting for him, but. I feel like America would be much closer together, and I would be pro him definitely, but he didn't do that. All right. Well, thank you, Dave. Now we know where Dave in Bayonne stands. Any reaction you to know, Dave? I, I just hope we get to a position now, we're a year into his presidency, that we can criticize Biden without being called a Trump supporter. Because when I did it when he first got in, oh, look what he's doing here. Oh, what are you, a Trump supporter? No. I think he's stupid and I think he's doing something wrong. So I think we're finally getting into a position where we can criticize Biden without being accused of being a Trump supporter. So and I think that's good. And just think if you um, don't want the if you don't want the vaccine, you're also somehow a uh, anti-vaxxer and a Trumper. Like it goes hand yeah, in hand. I, it makes I mean, it is the most illogical characterization by far. Robert is in Manhattan. Hello, Robert. Good. Good morning, Frank, and good morning, folks. I'm glad to hear Johnny McDonough on Frank's show. Mr. McDonough, you may remember, I'm the historian that is called you and Maliki when we've discussed matters Irish and Celtic. That's right. And, That's right. I do yes, remember you. And, yes, and you were the one that introduced me to All is Calm and the 1914 Christmas Truce. Anyway, I have a question. Um, there are people on the other radio station who are very offended when they refer to COVID as the China virus. Now, look, I am not anti-Chinese, but last time I looked, Wuhan was not in Myanmar. It was not on the island of Tonga. It wasn't in Jalisco. It's in China. Why shouldn't they refer to a virus where it comes from? And why should anybody be offended? Therefore, I don't know how Frank feels, but how do you two feel about simply calling it the China virus? Well, I, I know the New York Times had an article there recently, a, a correlation by calling it that and the attacks on the, the, the Chinese community. I, I wonder back in 1918 when it was the Spanish flu, where, where people, the, the Spanish population being attacked in, in 1918. I, I, I don't know. Because it is silly. I mean, to attack someone because it came out of that country is ridiculous. But there might be a cause and effect. I I, I don't know. Because something's going on within the Chinese community or the Asian community. Yeah. Well, and how much of a priority for that is people? For, is that for people, though? Do they really need to rename COVID the China virus? What do you really gain yeah, I, by calling it the China virus? I mean, it is what it is. 800-848-WABC. Tommy's in Brooklyn. Hello, Tommy. Hi, Frank. Hi, John. Hi, Marlene. Um, I'm a U.S. Army vet. I was stationed in Germany, too, John. Uh, where um, where in Germany? Uh, Babenhausen, right down from a Schaffenberg. Yeah, I was in Würzburg. Yeah. Würzburg. Ich habe gut time. With the NATO war games, I, you know, it's, it's sad, but they're training. And unfortunately, sometimes people get hurt or yep. even die. Mm-hmm. And it's tragic. But, it, but training is necessary for the force readiness. 
and the U.S. military trains to win. That's all I got to say about that. And um, I wanted to say something about the burn pits too. When I was in Iraq, I was stationed. I went to. I was two, did two tours in Iraq, and um, I do have some issues with the with the burn pits. I was stationed near. I was, my hooch was near two of them, and uh, I have some issues, breathing problems and stuff. But it could be from the smoking too. Who knows? Um, and I'll probably die before they find out how and why soldiers are sick from it. You know. But what you about know, the were there thing, were there Iraqis nearby too that are getting sick? I mean, making it sound like only Americans were getting these diseases. No, I mean, where I was, the burn pits were pretty far off. But you know, when the wind picked up, you know, I'm sure they were they were affected by it as well. I mean, they were pretty close to the base, and um, uh, they had the burn pits. I did a lot of you know a lot of outside traveling. You know, we were on outside the fob a lot. I did 96 missions out there, and uh, we always had to pass through. It was terrible. You know, who knows? The other thing is the vets. With 22 vets a day die of suicide, and I wear a wristband every day. My buddy gave it to me. You know, I had some issues about the PTSD and all that. And I attempted a few times myself, but I, I wear this as a reminder. You know, 22 vets a day kill themselves, and that's important. You know, I, I want to check out your vets for peace. Thing. It sounds good. Yeah, uh, Saturday, 3 o'clock, Times Square. Yeah, hang in there, Tommy. Thanks for calling. Thanks for your service. Hey, guys, uh, I appreciate you sharing that. And, uh, again, I encourage people to uh, check out the Gold Shield at uh, thesimpletruth.com. U.S. That's the simple truth. Dot U.S. Uh, John McDonough is here. Marlena Shivo is here. Before we run out of time, Marlena, it was another article that the uh, Huffington Post had of the three different types of perfectionism. Uh, what are the different types of perfectionism? <laughs> well, the first one is self-orientedism, which is uh, basically expecting um, the best from yourself, but apparently holding yourself to these imaginary high standards is nothing but disappointing and you never seem to reach this perfectionism that you're striving for. The other one is other oriented perfectionism, which is basically holding other people mainly at work or school to these standards that they don't even know about and then being disappointed over and over again um, by them not meeting your expectations. And the last one is social prescribed perfectionism. Mm. And that is sort of like, the keeping up with the Joneses syndrome a little bit, oh, um, you know, basically it's someone who believes um, others what, you know, what others believe is your own perception of yourself. So it's basically worrying about what people think at a level that is completely unhealthy um, and judging yourself only through the eyes of other people. Do you fall into any of these categories? I don't think so. I mean, I don't think so. I no? mean, certainly not the first one. Um, I'm trying to think. No, I'm going to say no. I, I don't think. Uh, so you have no expectations of yourself. None. No expectations none. of your Zero. coworkers. Zero. Zero. None. And Matt Blaze is thankful for that every day. Believe and me. And I know you definitely don't care what people think. I'm on the same page as you. But how about you, John? No, the only thing I would be perfection is, is driving and going from A to B. If someone didn't go the right way or didn't oh. use ways, I would say, listen, all you had to do was look or listen to 1010 wins for traffic. <laughs> you know, that, that that's the only thing. And the other thing I perfection, and I know we're running out of time, I didn't get to hear Frank do Tom from the Bronx talking to Tom from the Bronx <laughs> because I would love for you to do a full hour of you 
Imitating Tom, talking to Tom. We'll, we'll do that on the last show. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting together a lengthy list of things that I'm going to do on whenever our last show is. Because I, I, I think I have a feeling that whenever I did an hour of being Tom from the Bronx, <laughs> that would be our last show. So we're holding off on that one. Uh, John McDonough, it is always a treat having you here. Marlena Shivo, it's always a treat having you here. You can find uh, Marlena Shivo on all forms of social media at Marlena, M-A-R-L-A-I-N-A. S-C-H-I-A-V-O, like Terry Schiavo. You can find uh, John McDonough at all forms of social media at Cab to Vest. If you want to uh, protest the war, you can show up Saturday afternoon. At which, 3 o'clock, Times Square, by Father Duffy, the he, statue. He was asked to MC. I was oh not. My God. Can't Wait win them all. you see the characters are going to turn up that day. Uh, <laughs> until next hour, keep asking questions. <laughs> this is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Moreno. And, you know, not surprisingly, I have always been interested in issues related to the continuation of humanity. That's right. I have a vested interest as a human in seeing the world continue. And that's what there are three or four stories that I have had on my list for a long time that I wanted to bring to your attention. And I've had them on my list now for a week. And I think, I, you know, I have the way I work is I, I have everything on a laptop and I'm going to have to give this laptop up on Friday. I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be very, very interesting how I'm going to continue to do the show because I have it all worked out where – I have this ever-growing list of topics and all sorts of different topics. I have topics that are going to get calls. I have topics that are going to allow me to rant. I have topics that are uh, funny. I have topics that are serious. I have topics that are paranormal. I have topics that are uh, meant to be done in the middle of an hour, meant to be done uh, quickly for a minute or two. And so uh, I have to fig- I'm going to have to figure this out once I give this computer back to my former employer on Friday. If you want to know why that's happening... Uh, you can listen to the podcast of yesterday's show. But um, I, I want to develop a thing where if if a story or a topic remains on my list for more than like a week, then I want to start – I want to have it blink, right? So there's a wide variety of stories that have to do with procreation that I want to bring to your attention before they become overripe. All right. Now, um, we're seeing, we saw a couple of interesting things during the pandemic. A lot of folks assumed in this country that with nobody working, when with everybody being home, uh, we assumed that we would see a baby boom. Well, we didn't. For a wide variety of reasons, there was no baby boom. But there was somewhere 
the pandemic delivered a baby boom to the Nordic countries. Since the COVID pandemic began, births in many wealthy countries across the world, including ours, have plummeted. In 2020, the United States fertility rate cratered at its lowest ever. We talked about it when those numbers came out. We had we took calls from you as to why that was the case. I gave you my two cents, and we talked about uh, if this was going to be temporary or if this was a continuing trend. It was an interesting discussion. And I, I kind of assume Chinese births plunged 15%. France saw the fewest babies born since World War II. Meanwhile, though, the Nordic countries... Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Iceland, they all maintained their birth rates. And some of these countries were puzzled to find themselves in the midst of a pandemic baby boom. After a staggering 16.5% more births than normal in the second quarter of 2021, Iceland has found themselves in the midst of a baby boom. Um, So there are all sorts of reasons why this might be the case. Why do you think it's the case? 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-9222. There are some theories. There's a very interesting article in uh, National Geographic which, uh, unfortunately, I'm not able to finish reading because I've expanded, I've gone past the allotted number of um, National Geographic articles that I'm able to read for the month. So I'm hoping that uh, Molly, with her kind of hacker ways, can find it to be able to open this article and print it for me. We'll see. But even if she is able to print it, we have one of those printers that prints on two sides of a paper, and sure, it's more efficient, but it is a little, I don't know, it's a little annoying. you got to flip it over. It's not as conducive to, to reading, but um, we'll see. We'll see where it goes, if it's uh, able to be printed, and if it does end up get, getting printed on either side of a piece of paper. But one of the theories as to why these Nordic countries are experiencing a baby boom has to do with the kind of benefits that employers in these countries and the governments in these countries offer to new parents. If you have a child, I, now, by the way, as an aside, I don't think that alone explains it. Because in South Korea and in Japan, they were practically willing to pay women a boatload of money if they would just have a child. And it did nothing, nothing to move the birth rate one iota. But it reminds me, if that theory does hold some water, that it's the uh, benefits that these employers are offering that is leading to a baby boom in these these countries, it reminds me of another story I came across recently about fertility benefits that more and more employers are offering. There is a growing demand for fertility benefits. Leading companies across all sorts of different industries, Spotify, Facebook, Bank of America, Starbucks, Cliff Bar, Masterclass, they have added fertility benefits in recent years, and the trend is growing. In 2020, 
61% of employers with more than 500 employees provided at least some infertility coverage. And companies are expanding their offerings. In 2022, 63% of employers plan to cover fertility services beyond the diagnosis of infertility. I have a, a friend of mine that just changed do- jobs recently. He and his wife are trying to have a baby, and they they both work in the private sector. And he recently decided to take a job working for the government because the state that he ended up working for, they cover infertility treatment. So that was interesting to me. I saw this kind of study, the, these statistics coming to, to life because there are a lot of people that are looking for treatment for infertility. And we can get into why that's the case. But there are a lot of folks looking for treatment for infertility. And this benefit is becoming something that employers are touting. So as awareness of family-forming benefits has grown, they have become an important tool in the war for talent, a challenge for employers that's already spilled into 2022. Increasingly, employers, excuse me, employees expect fertility benefits and they will change jobs in order to get them. That's precisely what my friend did. If they if they need to, they will. 70% of millennials and 90% of those experiencing infertility are willing to change jobs for fertility benefits. Think of that. Now, if you think of that, if if having workers and good workers is good for you, why wouldn't every company offer these kinds of infertility benefits? 90% of those experiencing infertility are willing to change jobs. 70% of millennials are willing to change jobs. Why not, if you're an employer, just offer these benefits rather than, you know, force people to leave their job? So these surveys reiterate what many businesses and employees already know. The demand for fertility care will continue to grow and businesses must respond if they want to compete for talent. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on Either the baby boom that is taking place in the Nordic countries or the fact that there is an increasing demand in the private sector in this country for infertility benefits. I'd love to hear from you. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. The penultimate story that I want to bring to your attention uh, when it comes to fertility and infertility is data suggests that women are freezing their eggs more during the pandemic, defying doctors' expectations. Now, when I talk about freezing their eggs, I'm not talking about the kind of eggs that my you know Aunt Camille uses to make egg salad. No, I'm talking about the eggs that are used in a reproductive man- manner. And this article in Time magazine talks about Women who uh, have been furloughed and then they have difficulty meeting people. They're not sure of their own financial security. They're not sure of their own financial future. And they end up freezing their own eggs and beginning this egg freezing process. So if you want to comment on that, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. And then in general, 
um, the story that I've been covering and been very interested in is the various population falls that we have been seeing. Um, We are seeing in all of Western civilization a dip in population. Now, the population is not going down, but the birth rate is going down. If it were not for immigration, the population would be going down. And some people say this is nothing to worry about. This is going to lead to the current generation of young people and the next generation of young people having more resources, having smaller class sizes, having the resources uh, uh, to themselves that previous generations had to share with five or six others. I don't agree. I think this is cause for concern. If you look at, um, uh, you know, entities like the Social Security Trust Fund, which rely upon new people paying into that all the time in order to keep paying current benefits, strikes me as a big, big problem. So if you want to comment on uh, any of that, you're welcome to any of those three or four stories, 800-848-9222. Why the baby boom in the Nordic countries, 800-848-WABC. Two um, employers pressured to look for, um, to offer more in terms of fertility benefits, more women looking to freeze their own eggs and the pitfalls of population falls. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Craig in Madison, Connecticut. Hello, Craig. Craig. Thank you, Craig. Hey, by the way, that reminds me, a friend of mine called and uh, during Friday's show and he, I guess, you know, I don't know if he told Molly that he was a friend of mine or not, but then he went on hold, and I didn't know he was a friend of mine. I thought his name was just Bill, and I didn't go to him, but I was going to go to him, and then he hung up. So now, in general, if you're genuinely a friend of mine and you call this show, the best way to get on air, right, is not to tell Molly, oh, I'm a friend of Frank's, because everybody claims they're a friend of Frank's, and there's no way to differentiate the people that are actually friends with me from the people that, uh, that you know, claim that they're friends with me. I remember when I used to be on the radio, there used to be this guy. He's one of the worst callers ever. And, um, I mean, he's in E-Frank territory, right? He always sounded, you know, uh, he wasn't drunk, but he always sounded drunk. And he would go by the name of Uncle Joe in New Jersey, right? So I would never go to this guy unless there was nobody else to talk to. And then, you know, w- one weekend I'm doing my show and it says Uncle Joe was on hold. And I don't go to him because I, he's such a boring caller. And then lo and behold, I get a text message from my Uncle Joe, my actual Uncle Joe, that he was on hold wanting to talk to me. So that all could have been avoided in Bill's case on Friday and in Uncle Joe's case years ago is if you actually know me, text me. With that, oh, you know, I'm on hold. Molly put me on hold. I'm happy to wait here on hold, but I just want you to know this is me. This is not an imposter. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. All right. Joe has other priorities. By the way, speaking of Joe, we're going to talk with Joe Pinion. He is the Republican nominee uh, running against Chuck Schumer. He was nominated at the New York State Republican Convention 
yesterday, I guess technically it was two days ago, and uh, he'll talk to us about why he should go to the U.S. Senate and why he is worthy of your vote against Chuck Schumer. I know Joe for a long time. I like Joe, and uh, he's been a guest on the show even previously, and uh, he's been a commentator on Newsmax and elsewhere, a a very interesting guy and uh, somebody that uh, I'm looking forward to talking to in about 10 minutes. And the other interesting news that we're watching is the story of Sal Greco, that police officer that they are trying to drum out of the police department for essentially being friends with Roger Stone and trying to allege some sort of a January 6th connection. This guy is being railroaded six ways from Sunday. And Eric Adams, who goes on and on about uh, how he's not ashamed to be in the company of criminals, and I don't blame him for that. I think that's very admirable. He needs to speak out and say this police officer should not be fired. 14-year police officer, an honorable uh, New York City cop who has never done anything wrong, and they're trying to throw this guy out of the department. There's a website that uh, Sal's friends have set up for him uh, to raise money for his legal defense. It's called helpthisnycop.com. You can check it out, helpthisnycop.com. And I'm really hopeful that... um, that things work out well for Sal, although I am by no means optimistic. And it really looks like the department, and this is something that began under de Blasio, aided by the New York Daily News, it really looks like they're trying to criminalize conservatism and being a Trump supporter among members of the NYPD, which would be a real, real uh, shame, quite frankly. 800-848-WABC, it's 800-848-9222. Jay is in Cincinnati. Hello, Jay. Hey, Frank. Out here in the great Midwest, we have this urban farming kick going on. People are having these llamas in their backyards, these goats, these big furry animals. What's up with the furry animal thing? Does that have something to do with the population drop? Uh, You know, again, Jay, I know most people usually confuse me, actually not a scientist, I have no idea. Uh, But um, when it comes to public policy, I really think that we need to do something differently. I think we need to move in a direction that's more conducive to being supportive of families. And look, I I say this as somebody that's uh, a very proud father of a three-month-old. It's uh, really crummy to think that these people are trying to have children, are trying to solve some of the the population problems that the country is dealing with and they're not able to because their employers won't cover infertility treatment and they're not able to afford moving forward. So I think that's a a real shame. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. We're going to talk with Joe Pignon in just a few minutes, find out about his candidacy for U.S. Senate, and uh, we'll delve into some of the other issues that people are worked up about with respect to politics, national, local, international. Dave is in Dumont. Hello, Dave. Hello, Frank. How are you doing tonight? Doing wonderfully. Thank is you. Is Molly okay? She seemed like she was all of a sudden in pain or something. She sounded like she was in distress. Is she all right? Uh, you know, there's something about when you call, Dave, that just makes her have a painful expression on her face. I don't know. Oh, that shouldn't happen. Usually when people see me, they're glad to see me and talk to me. Well, hey, 
Uh, what can we say? That's Molly for you. Uh, so is there anything else about uh, Molly's medical history that you want to go over? Or No, no. As long as she's okay, I thought maybe she was having some kind of an attack of some sort. Well, I guess we'll find out, right? I mean, it'll be an exciting 90 minutes if that's the case. Okay. Well, let me get to my point. Um, Donald Trump, for all his misgivings and his lies and everything, there's one thing he did say that made sense when he did a State of the Union, and that is that when people come to this country, and they've been talking about immigration because I watched an old Johnny Carson rerun in 1982, and they were talking about immigration in 1982, okay? That people come to this country and they're allowed to bring five, six of their relatives in. And what they do is they bring their parents over here that don't speak a word of English. And Scott Garrett, who was a Republican congressman from the state of New Jersey, said that Social Security is not a global welfare program. That as soon as you get here in this country... What we do is we give people $500 or $550 a month, and they're not even citizens, or they just got here. They never put any money into the system, and we give them $500 or $550 a month, and then we give them housing sometimes as well, Yeah. plus, plus Medicare. All right. Thank you, Dave. So just getting back to uh, now, uh, Molly, was well enough to print this article about the Nordic countries and some of the theories as to why the Nordic countries are experiencing this baby boom. You know, usually the conventional wisdom goes that the better the economy does, the more births you have, right? I mean, the baby boom in this country from 1949 to 1964 or thereabouts, that was driven by an unprecedented experience with peace and prosperity. Well, Finland experienced a recession in the 90s, and they still are dealing with this baby boom. So one of the leading hypotheses on why this might be is that in times of economic uncertainty, the Nordic countries' generous family leave pay helps alleviate concerns about increased financial burden. A new baby can act as a financial security net for the household. Uh, One of the experts they speak to says, in times of crisis, you can put your career on hold and focus on that, and you don't really have to worry that much about the economic situation of your household. All five Nordic countries offer paid parental leave for at least 11 months based on income from the previous year. Payouts range from about 53% of income in Denmark to nearly 100% in Norway. In Iceland, new parents receive 12 months of paid leave at 80% of their normal income. Have we gotten to a place where maybe America, if we want to stem the loss of population that we're experiencing, have we gotten to a place where America needs to look at this. 800-848-9222. John is in New Jersey. Hello, John. How you doing, Frank? Um, 
Well, if you were uh, if you work for the Biden administration, I think you already get that leave, don't you? Right? Buttigieg was gone for uh, a few months. Right, but he? you don't get it at eighty percent or a hundred percent of your salary. Um, I'm sure he did. Uh, well, no, I, but I, I did he did go through. It's we did go through the record. fertility thing in New Jersey, and at the time, um, that New Jersey was required uh, to cover the insurance company was re- uh, required to cover three 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 uh times through the um uh, three tries basically got paid for by the insurance at the time so i don't know if that's changed or if it's different in new york um or maybe my wife just had good insurance at the time but we did get three chances and luckily thank god on the third third try we did have a baby oh well congratulations thank you she's uh seven now so no that's wonderful and we started late we yeah, we started late. I was I was 50 and my wife was 44. So we started late. But I did notice in the fertility clinic there was a lot of younger women. Like I knew why we were having problems. We we were older. Um but there was a lot of women in their 20s and 30s that were also in there. My my theory is that what they they go on the birth control pill so young now and they, their body is being told for years and years and years not to produce eggs. And I think once they say, okay, we want eggs now, the body just says shut down, you know? Yeah, well, I, 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 I totally get that. And uh, congratulations to you on your, your family there. Joe is in Tremont. Hello, Joe. Yeah, good morning. Uh, actually, I have a interesting uh, corollary to what you're talking about with regard to the welfare states and uh, Scandinavia, particularly Sweden. <laughs> when you look at the immigration into those countries, it's staggering. For example, in Sweden, a lot of the Americans they think of like you know a Nordic country, you know, blonde hair, blue-eyed Nordic types. Listen, 20% of Sweden's population was born not only outside of Sweden, but outside of Europe. And by the end of this century, 20, uh, 2100, Swedes, native Swedes, are said to become a minority in Sweden, their own country. And a large part of the immigrate of the uh, natural increase or the you know the baby boom that's going on there is that a tremendous amount of people from outside of Europe, particularly Muslim immigrants, are taking advantage of the welfare system, very generous, magnanimous welfare system in Sweden, Finland, Norway, Denmark, etc., to essentially establish enclaves. And, you know, speaking of uh, Sweden in particular, I really want to stay focused on that country. There are entire neighborhoods in Stockholm, Malmo, and other big cities in Sweden that not even the police who are armed want to go into those neighborhoods. Why? Because, as I said, they are unrecognizable to people who think of Sweden as being a European country. Thank you, Joe. Dave is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Dave. Hey, what's going on? This is Dave from the Bronx. I got two issues with it. My issue first is um, the gay population is rising up, you know? And then you got people with child support. You know, a lot of people, it deters them from making kids. So uh, just on your first point, you think the more gay people procreate with other gay people, the more likely they are to have children that are gay? The population of gays is going up. A lot of people going to being gay. They, like, I know a five-year-old child that's telling me, oh, I think I'm gay. You know what I mean? Like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? It's just going stir-crazy now. And people are just like, 
you know what? It's like you never see a lady with a stroller walking down the street anymore. Well, that that's true. You never do. No strollers. This is a town that has outlawed strollers. That's an interesting theory. Maybe because there are so many gay people now, they're uh, procreating with other gay people, and they're having children that are more likely to be gay. Could be, right? You never know. Hey, just putting it out there, folks. Uh, thank you for today for that. Um, well, that's an interesting idea. All right. Let's talk with Joe Pinion. Is he gay? I don't know. We'll ask him about his sexuality. Maybe we won't. Coming up next, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC. Hey, folks, warmer days will be here soon. Now's the time to get healthier and lose that fat you put on the past couple of years. You can lose that winter weight by spring. Since it only takes 40 days to lose 20 to 40 plus pounds with my friends at NJ Diet. Their contractually guaranteed program is unlike any of those other diet plans you may have tried. Dr. T. Arthur Turovitz, he knows what he's doing. It all starts with bioenergetically personalized supplements based on your hair, saliva, and blood work. Then, NJ Diet uses DNA testing to create your ideal diet plan and workout regimen help you keep the weight off for the rest of your life. It's all natural. No shots, no hormones, no surgery, no feeling hungry, and absolutely no prepackaged foods. Not sure if you can do it alone? No problem. NJ Diet is with you every step of the way you're fully monitored to make sure you're burning fat not just losing water you'll also get the doctor's personal email and phone number nj diet in new york new jersey connecticut or from home with live online video consultations visit njdiet.com or call 855-5-NJ-DIET that's njdiet.com you see what inflation is doing you see what the stock market is doing i have a contingency plan that's going to keep your money secure as prices keep rising the dollar lost a ton of value. Inflation rose by almost 7%. In 30 days, your dollar became worth 93 cents. Inflation is not slowing down. It's escalating. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and can protect your family's wealth. Legacy Precious Metals is the company that I trust for investing in gold and silver. You have to take this seriously. You can trust Legacy Precious Metals because they give you unbiased counsel based on your individual situation. Speak to an IRA X Precious Metals at 866-932-0635, or you can download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. If you do that, be sure to tell them you heard about it from me, Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Joe Pinion, or as uh, many Newsmax viewers back in the day knew him, Joe Pinion, has been a guest on this show before. He has an exhaustive resume. He's been a a TV political commentator. He's been a clean energy strategist, a business executive, an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, a a guy that is certainly a bright guy with a diverse, diverse resume. And now... He wants to add U.S. Senator to his resume. This week, the New York State Republican Party nominated him as their nominee for U.S. Senate to run against Chuck Schumer. Now, uh, there could still be a Republican primary, but as it stands now, Joe Pinion is the Republican designee. So as you make a a decision about who you're going to vote for in the June primary, if there is one, or as you make a determination about who you're going to vote for for U.S. Senate in November, thought it might be helpful for you to learn a little bit about some of the candidates that are running. And Joe was willing to come on the radio at 3.30 in the morning to talk to you about his vision for New York and the country. Joe, I know it's a tough time. I appreciate you getting up early. Always good to be with you on the other side of midnight, my friend. Good to be with you. Hey, congratulations on uh, being designated as the Republican nominee. I know I know it was a fierce competition. I know there were a lot of other candidates that wanted it. Well, look, at the end of the day, uh, what makes America special is the fact that any person uh, can choose to put their hat in the ring. I respect and appreciate the others who uh, endeavor to make sure that we could all be united in one thing, uh, making sure that the people of New York have a chance to have a choice for the first time in 24 years. Um, I am humbled by the fact that the the committee members uh, placed their faith uh, in my hands. I placed my heart in theirs and in the people of New York State to say that our time is now to build a New York that works for every New Yorker, to rebuild an America that works for every American, and for the 12 million children living in poverty, uh, to the fact that we have runaway inflation, uh, taking seniors on fixed incomes and putting them on their knees. Uh, We've certainly got work to do. So, uh, Joe, this is, I think, the first time a lot of people are hearing about you Give us, in, in a nutshell, uh, what you've, I know you've not held elective office before, although you've been involved in politics and public policy for a long time. What, what, um, what have you done professionally in your career? How do you make money? Well, look, obviously, I was uh, most recently the host of Saturday Agenda on Newsmax uh, every Saturday from 1 to 3, talking about global affairs. Uh, But I wasn't born on television. I was born in Yonkers, New York, a lifelong New Yorker, went to Colgate University, uh, played football there. But uh, in my professional life, most actively uh, was engaged in nonprofit health care, specifically in trying to augment the health care services provided by a nonprofit health care organization. Organization, uh, to engage in youth development, I uh, was able to help uh, spearhead and execute a bridge grant program providing recurring uh, relief to matriculating high school students who needed just a little bit of extra resources uh, to be able to go on to college, to be able to stay regularly involved and enrolled in college on a more uh, consistent basis. And we found that by giving these at-risk youth uh, bridge grants for $1,500 uh, 
we were able to achieve uh, those ends because you had children uh, who didn't have the money to uh, afford the comforters or the winter socks. And so instead of going to a SUNY Buffalo, they would stay home and go to school locally. Uh, and that is not, there's no crime in that except for the fact that some of those children wanted to get away from the environment in which they lived. And we were able to help provide those opportunities. And so for me, uh, whether it was the experiences that I've had uh, in media, on cable news networks, have my own show on on Newsmax, or whether it was simply looking at the pain and suffering of the children we were able to help uh, through those endeavors. Uh, I've seen when government is at its best. I've seen when government-driven neglect uh, can keep children and families a prisoner. And I understand that now is the time uh, for us to make sure that we can actually have policies that give people the tools to become the best version of themselves. So if you're elected, what's um, the biggest priority for you? If you go to Washington, whether it's a, a national public policy item or something that involves delivering for the people of the state of New York, what's first and foremost on your agenda? Well, I think overall, I mean, there's so many things that we need to fix, but I think first and foremost, if we can embed into all of our public policy, uh, that the government can no longer be held to a lower standard than we hold the private sector. Uh, That has various applications. If you look at something as basic as public housing, uh, the largest slumlord in America today is not a millionaire or a billionaire. It's New York City public housing, uh, $40 billion behind in repairs, repairs that do not turn public housing in America into the Taj Mahal, but rather ensure that people do not get rained on while they sleep or make sure that the air they breathe doesn't kill them. Uh, We've got children living in apartments with lead in the paint, in the air vents. We've got uh, individuals at the height of this breakdown. We had 40,000 elevators in New York City public housing that didn't work. Uh, This is an infrastructure that holds uh, over half a million souls. And so if I was a private person who owned uh, over half a million uh, souls uh, in my responsibility, in my care, and we had these levels of conditions, uh, we would be in prison. Um, and set the fact that we're in government, and so we do not have those problems. So I think that is one area we can have a broad impact. But another one, I think, is something as basic as public safety. Uh, we have seen the insanity of policies like Castus Bail, of defund the police. Uh, 2021 was the deadliest year to wear a badge in recorded history uh, because we had police officers uh, that effectively were prey uh, due to the priorities of politicians who elevated the needs of the criminal above the lawful citizens of this country. So uh, Chuck Schumer was supposed to be the adult in the room to beat back the bad ideas. Instead, he put his head in the sand because he was more concerned about a primary than the public good. Uh, And So we have to make sure uh, that we deal with this issue with the fierce urgency of now In New York City in particular, we had shootings up 90 percent, homicide up 30 percent. Nationwide, we saw 12 U.S. cities hit all-time highs due to homicide. And it wasn't just because the American people became more homicidally inclined. It's because the policies allowed the lawless uh, to run roughshod over the lawful. So we've got work to do, certainly. But I think uh, no matter how you slice it, whether you're left of Bernie Sanders, whether you're right of Donald Trump, Chuck Schumer's fingerprints are on much of what has gone wrong in society today, and we endeavor to make sure that in this election we get a fresh start uh, to build an America that works for every single American. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Joe Pinion. He is 
a Republican running for U.S. Senate. He was nominated by the New York State Republican Party to run against Chuck Schumer. By the way, Chuck Schumer is uh, welcome to come on this show and offer his vision for the country and for the state of New York, as are any of the other candidates that end up running for this seat. If you want to learn more about Joe Pinion's candidacy, you can go to the website JoePinion.com. That's P-I-N-I-O-N.com. Joe Obviously, I think most people know that New York is a blue state and it's tough for a Republican under any circumstances. Now, Chuck Schumer specifically, he has uh, demonstrated since he was 24 years old a pretty unblemished record of electoral success. He has been in office literally since he was 24 years old. He has never lost a primary. He has never lost a general election. Why do you think that you might be the guy to beat him finally? Or do you think this is more about um, giving the voters a choice or bringing different ideas to the forefront? Uh, What's your candidacy about? Is it about raising different ideas and raising awareness for different policy positions? Or do you think you could actually beat Chuck Schumer? Well, uh, to be clear, I didn't quit my job to finish second place. I had a, had a very comfortable uh, position, but sometimes in life you have to be willing to make yourself uncomfortable in order to take that most uh, essential second step. And for me, uh, that step is making sure that the values I have spent my life fighting for uh, remain to have a vibrant uh, place in American life today and ensuring that New Yorkers do have a chance to have a choice. Uh, this is not a vanity exercise. We know uh, Chuck Schumer can be beaten. Uh, that's not just my opinion. That is the opinion of the voters. When you look at Siena College polling that tells you that Chuck Schumer has not had uh, success with independence north of 37% since April. Uh, he's polling at 46%, according to Siena College, uh, with the entire electorate today. He's only been over 50% once in the last three months. So any way you slice it, Uh, When you're somebody who's been in the United States Senate for 24 years, somebody who's been in Congress uh, for 42 years, someone who's been in government since the day they walked off of a law school campus uh, for 48 years, uh, the question people must ask and the thesis for our campaign has been, if you are unhappy with the world as it is today, how in the world can you keep voting for the architects who built it? Chuck Schumer is the greatest architect in American politics today. He is responsible for the policies uh, under which which our life is governed. And so if you don't think that paying uh, over $10 for a rotisserie chicken is a good idea, uh, then certainly Chuck Schumer has to go. If you do not understand how we built a world where $5 on pump four can no longer get you home at night, uh, then Chuck Schumer cannot be allowed to stay. Uh, He is responsible for the policies that have Americans spending $400 million a day on fuel. Additionally, versus where we were a year ago, he is responsible for the policies uh, that make sure that we have Americans who simply walk into diners to be greeted with signs that say uh, chicken wings are going to cost $17. Because while he says he brings home the bacon, the average American family can't afford the ham at the deli. Um, And you have seniors... uh, who just got the largest increase from Social Security in a generation, who watched that increase be wiped out uh, due to the runaway printing of money uh, to deal with a virus of foreign origin uh, for which we have yet to hold them accountable. All of these are policies are rooted in the fact that we have a man that maybe once uh, did want to do right by the people, 
but now is more concerned with keeping power than empowering those people who have placed their trust in his hand and who are now struggling with the fact that our working class state has not nearly enough working class opportunities to sustain prosperity for the American families that call the great state of New York home. Do you think that um, you know you happen to be the, the GOP has historically been viewed as a party that appeals primarily to older white men? Uh, we have a very diverse New York State Republican ticket at the moment. Uh, the lieutenant governor happens to be a female. The c- candidate for controller happens to be Hispanic. You're African-American. Do you think your candidacy and the candidacy of other women and minorities by the New York State Republican Party represents sort of a new era in terms of Republican focus and Republican outreach to groups that historically haven't identified with the GOP? Well, look. I mean, to me, at the end of the day, I, I was a black American when I was born. I'll be a black American when I die, and I've been a Republican since I was a teenager. But I don't profess to speak for every single Republican that has ever lived, nor do I uh, profess to represent uh, the the will of every single person who looks like me. But what I do believe is that inclusion matters and giving people a chance to have a choice matters. And I think for me, I'm humbled by the fact that I became the first individual who was a black person in the history of New York State uh, to be the designated nominee for U.S. Senate uh, by either major party. That includes the Democrats as well. And so I think it is telling uh, that when you have a Republican Party uh, recommitted to that founding ethos, uh, imprinted on the DNA of our party uh, by that founding father in Abraham Lincoln, when you see the fact that we are, again, uh, having the honest conversation, at least on our campaign, about the fact that we must go beyond the talking points to talk about the 12 million children living in poverty that rarely have a voice, to talk about the fact that we have one out of three black children that call New York State home living in poverty when we pride ourselves on supposedly being a progressive state. Uh, Three out of five black children in the Bronx are struggling with the ravages of poverty. We are doing nothing about it. Uh, Those are the issues that I prioritize in this campaign. Uh, An abysmal drop in reading rates for our children. Uh, We need to declare literacy as a human right for every child that calls this nation home, and we need to do it today. Uh, These are our priorities. These are the issues that keep parents up at night, that keep families huddled around the kitchen table uh, to make sure that, again, we can stop being a state of 19 million and shrinking. We lead the nation in outward migration. One million people have voted with their feet over the last 10 years uh, because they can no longer afford to hold out false hope uh, for our leaders to deliver. Uh, We need to get past our false hope. We need to uh, get to uh, the unwavering reality of unshakable faith, faith in our neighbors, uh, faith in our values, faith in our nation again, uh, that we will have leadership that puts the needs of the people first. Joe, and we'll have you back throughout the campaign to monitor your candidacy and to follow everything that you're doing. But there's a lot of people in this state They just really don't care for Donald Trump. It's evidenced in the fact that uh, he got less than 40 percent of the vote when he ran for reelection. You're going to need some of those folks that voted for Biden and can't stand Donald Trump to vote for you if you have any hope of winning. There's such a temptation on the parts of some Democrats and a lot of independents that don't like Donald Trump 
to write off everybody, especially, you know, that might be a Republican candidate, especially that might have been a Trump supporter, as just like Donald Trump and representative of the kind of policies that Donald Trump implemented that they can't stand. Is there anything in your candidacy, anything in your policy portfolio that you can point to that somebody that doesn't like Donald Trump might sort of think give you a second look over? No, I think we just talked about a lot of those things. Again, our quest in this election uh, is a moral quest, not a political uh, one. Uh, when you talk about the fact that we are committed uh, intrinsically to saying our fight is not left versus right. It is simply right versus wrong. And we've had too much wrong that has occurred on the watch of the Senate majority leader, the senior senator for our state. Uh, When we talk about the fact that we have people on the far left uh, who want to earnestly have a conversation about canceling the college debt, I remind people all the time, the man hiding behind the cancel the college debt mask is the same person who voted to give the banks the protections they asked for to keep you a prisoner of that debt for the rest of your natural life. Uh, So issue by issue, we believe we are sincere and earnest when we say that Chuck Schumer's fingerprints are on everything that has gone wrong in American politics today, whether you are left of Bernie Sanders or right of Donald Trump. This is not a political uh, quest. This really is, in many ways, our moral obligation uh, to say if you are tired of the division that has ruined our politics, then you cannot double down on the divisive partisanship that has actually built this world that we share together today. Joe, uh, so that's why we're committed to that. And obviously, people can go to JoePinion.com uh, to learn more about our campaign. We need volunteers. We need donations. But we're going to build an America that works for each and every one of us once again with your help by the grace of God and the people of the state know that they have a chance and a home on our campaign. We're going to have to end it there, Joe. Best of luck to you. I'm sure we're going to be talking with you quite often over the next eight months. Absolutely, my friend. God bless you and talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe Pinion. You want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Talk to me, baby, whisper in my ear. Talk to me, baby, whisper in my ear. Come a little closer, don't have no fear. Don't you know? Kokomo by Gene and Eunice, one of the great rock novelty songs of the 1950s, a classic song if ever there was one. 800-848-WABC, that's 800-848-9222. You know, it's very interesting. I had, um, I made the most of my Fat Tuesday. You know, in terms of being able to be soberish by 1 a.m. and be on the radio, um... I lived the 24 hours of Fat Tuesday. I was, uh, you know, I watched my son, right? And we had, um, 
I didn't sleep very late, which, you know, is fine. I have a lot of things to do. And I, I woke up. We had people working on the roof. And we didn't have these a $15,000 roof job. We just had a portion of the roof redone for, I think, $1,500. I woke up because they were doing the roof right above where our bedroom is. I thought we were being invaded by the Russians. I, I, I st- walked out of my bedroom and surrendered because that's how loud the banging and the stripping and the blah, 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 blah. So uh, I was up from 1 p.m. on. Um, and then I went to this event with Andrew Giuliani and Rudy Giuliani uh, at the Annadale Terrace on Staten Island. People were lined up around the block to sign Andrew Giuliani's petition and meet Rudy Giuliani and Curtis Lee. I know this is supposed to be Lee Zeldin's day, but people were really fired up about uh, Andrew Giuliani. So I, um, you know, I am talking to Andrew, talking about politics and the race and this and that, talking to Curtis. And then Rudy Giuliani sees me and he says, hey, have a seat right there. And I thought I was in trouble. And then lo and behold, he starts giving me a rather lengthy lecture about the set, the first and second episodes of the Racket Report podcast. And look, Rudy Giuliani, before he was mayor, he was a big mafia prosecutor. He was a U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. And he said, Frank, you know, I heard your promo that airs during my show. And then I went and listened to the first two episodes. The podcast is good and it was interesting. And then he proceeded to list all of the things that were inaccurate that either I said or that the guests said. And he's going on and on. And this went on for about 20, 30 minutes. And at at some point it was a little awkward because you had people lined up to take pictures with him and uh, to talk with him about politics or about his son's candidacy. And the only thing he wanted to do was lecture me about mob history. And boy, I mean, for anybody that thinks Rudy Giuliani's lost a step, he has not. Um, if that's what losing a step is like at his age, that's what I want to be. His knowledge of Joe Bonanno and Frank Costello and every major organized crime figure over the course of the last 90 years was encyclopedic. He wasn't looking at notes, wasn't reading from any notes, and he's just going on and on and on on all these organized crime Issues And I almost felt bad. I said, Mayor, you know, this fellow wants a picture with you. This person wants to meet you. And he basically would say, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he would proceed. Joe, Joe Bonanno did this, and then his son did that. And then he, he's going on and on. I learned a lot. I thought I knew a lot, but uh, I learned a lot. So he's going to join me, I think, next week for an episode. And then Curtis, who thinks he knows everything, not just about the mob, but everything. Giuliani proceeds to lecture us both on uh, on uh, mafia-related issues. So I think he's going to join me next week for the Racket Report. We're going to do an hour sit-down where we delve into organized crime. If you're not familiar with the Racket Report, this is uh, an organized crime podcast that I do. It's not on the radio. You can't hear it on the radio. Uh, you can only hear it by going to wabcradio.com or subscribing to the Racket Report. Now, the newest edition of the Racket Report is going to be uh, released at 9 a.m. this morning. My guest is Ori Spado, the mob boss, former mob boss of Hollywood. Here's a little bit of my interview with Ori Spado, which is going to be public at 9 a.m.
Are you a victim of the relationships that you had with Sonny Franzese and others? I believe the true reason that I got indicted was in 1997, the FBI out here were after me. They tried to get me to become an informant. And what I did was, instead of recording anybody else, I recorded the FBI. That was a big mistake. I ended up having 12 tapes of me taping the FBI. And I went on record. Sonny was in prison. And I knew I was going to get in trouble. But we went on record with Joe Todaro, the boss of Buffalo, with me taping the FBI. And Joe actually wanted me to keep doing it. But I knew I had to go on record because I knew I would get in trouble for it. Lo and behold, he describes a rather detailed plot to record surreptitiously the FBI and what that did to him. So that's going to be available at 9 a.m. Just search The Racket Report wherever podcasts are available, iTunes, Google Podcasts, etc. Search The Racket Report, subscribe to it, leave us a nice review. And if you want to see the photo of uh, Rudy Giuliani and Andrew Giuliani when they were campaigning on Staten Island yesterday, go to my Twitter, at Frank Morano. It's only available on Twitter, at Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Um, is is Molly back there? Molly back there. Okay. So Molly, has anybody ever asked you about being a guest on this on this radio program in your tenure of of, of the two of us working together? About being a guest? What do you What do you mean? Well, I, I don't know. I mean. I, I, I like really is, wasn't a trick question. I mean, uh, oh, oh, like you mean like has somebody expressed like has somebody approached me and said like, oh, get me on with Frank, get me or with Frank. or some version of that? Yeah, no, never. I don't. I don't think I know. I, I mean, generally, I, I guess the people I know are pretty humble and don't think they have anything important to say. I would. I, I listen to them. But. So nobody has ever in our entire history of working together ever said. So-and-so should be a guest on this program. I've had people suggest guests. That has happened. And then what do you do when someone suggests a guest? I... uh, (laughs) Now now I have to give myself up. Yeah. I I tell them, oh, that's a great idea. Um, I rarely mean it. Um, I am thankful for their suggestion. But a lot of times I I think that... uh, I look to you to to direct and guide where where the show should go. I'm I've suggested guests in the past, um, 
Of course. So you've suggested yes to me, for instance. Yeah, yeah. And then what do I say? Do it. Usually, right? Okay, if you I'll can, say, if you can get it, you, you're you're very supportive of of my ideas. Usually, um, right. so generally, I'll say something like yes, yes, or no, or maybe, right? One of the three, right. okay. generally. The, the, those strike me as very reasonable responses. Now, uh, thank you, Molly. I appreciate okay. you being my uh, my prop in this uh, this conversational exposition. Now, the reason I mention this is. <clears throat> Uh, Today's a a very, very big news day. And Sal Greco, an NYPD officer, and you could read the article on my Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Morano fan. That's Facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan. He is about to be drummed out of the NYPD for political nonsense. And I don't use profanity, but if I were someone that used profanity and could do it on the radio... This would be an instance where I was forced to do so because to me, what is happening to this man, a fine New Yorker and a fine police officer is a travesty. They're about to throw this guy who's done nothing wrong out of the department for being friends with Roger Stone for being a Trump supporter. He was not a January 6th rioter. He was not an oath keeper. He it was not a proud boy or anything like that. He's broken no laws. No one's alleging that he's broken a law. And yet they're going to throw him out of the NYPD, possibly as soon as today, when his departmental trial uh, starts. It was supposed to be yesterday, you'll recall, but apparently the judge was sick, sick, the judge, and they had to postpone it a day. So in any event, Roger Stone, who's one of the most well-known people on the planet right now, Roger Stone reaches out to me and said, look, I'm outraged at this this Sal Greco situation. I'd love to come on the radio to talk about it. So my first instinct is what? Let me put him on with me. But the bottom line is, as they're doing in the ratings, and we are doing great, I think we're doing a 17.8 share at the most recent book, um, we're still limited by who's awake at this time. And if you want to reach a whole bunch of listeners in one shot, you really got to get on the morning show. So I, I send an email yesterday to the producer of the Bernie and Sid show, Justin, and um, Bernard McGurk, who I've known for 15 years, and Sid Rosenberg. Sid Rosenberg, who I don't know as long, but who I've become fast friends with, and we're in this mutual admiration society. And... I say, hey, you know, Roger Stone would really love to come on the radio with you and talk about Sal Greco. And I proceed to list all of the reasons why I think Sal would be a good guest for them. This was fairly early in the day. I think it was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon or something. And you know what I hear back? Not one of the very thoughtful responses that that I give to Molly or one of the dishonest yet polite responses that Molly gives to the Vox Populi. This is what I heard back. Nothing. Nothing. Now, would it have killed somebody in that email to say, thanks, we'll look at it. Or, nah, we're booked for today or tomorrow. Or, you know, that's a great idea. Or, hey, maybe we're not, we're, we're tied up today. Maybe we'll do something tomorrow. Or, you know, Roger's too controversial. We don't want him on the show. Why wouldn't somebody at least respond? I'm not saying, 
I'm not saying have them on. If you don't want to have them on, don't have them on. But, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not Joe Schmo off the street here. I'm somebody that these guys see and work with every day. You'd think they'd say, well, you know, something. And I'm just trying to think. I would never respond to someone that way, especially somebody that uh, that I work with. So I was a little disappointed. Uh, I will say, I, I don't know if Justin Ellick is responsible, but the fact that Justin Ellick didn't even respond I do think less of him. I do. And, you know, especially at a time when Lou Rufino is now working here, if I were Justin, I would be here in footsteps and I would be looking over my shoulder. And, uh, I mean, you got Lou Rufino waiting in the wings. If I were Justin, I'd be Johnny on the spot. I'd Take be that guy. I'd be, no, <laughs> I'd be returning every email. And yet, here I am twiddling my thumbs. Wondering, oh, are they going to do that? Are they going to not do it? Should I book Roger for myself? And then, you know, I don't end up booking Roger because I don't know what they're going to do. So that was a disappointment. But it leads me to something that uh, I wanted to ask your opinion about, which is job recommendations. When do you recommend someone for a job? When do you not? Okay. Um, Now, I'm reminded of the Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry is asked to, um, you know, suggest a director who directed a couple of episodes of Seinfeld for Richard Lewis's new pilot. And Larry is on a speakerphone with him. And all of a sudden, you know, he's trying to get credit for recommending this person, but he doesn't really want to recommend him. So he does air quotes on the phone, but Richard Lewis can't see him doing those air quotes. This is before the days of Zoom or anything like that. So Richard Lewis ends up hiring this guy, and it's a disaster, and it's a very funny episode. But um, recently, if somebody asked me to recommend them for a job, unless they're completely unqualified, I'll always recommend them. But there are varying degrees of enthusiasm that I go through. Recently, I had uh, I had I had dinner with an old friend of mine, and he mentions how his son applied for a specific job, a certain job, and I know the person that's in charge of the hiring for this job, and I haven't seen his son in ten years. Right, nice guy when I knew him, so I called my friend up, right, and I said, "So and so, if anybody asks about, uh, let's call him Fred." That's not his name, but let's call him Fred. If anyone asks about Fred Weisberg, please be sure to note that I recommended him. But it was clear that I just wanted to kind of be on record. Now, there are some people that I go over and above for in terms of recommending. If people that um, say uh, something really – if people are looking to do something here at the radio station, for instance – I recommend them for all sorts of things, right? Uh, and if they're if they're good, if they're good, and some people sometimes they get hired, sometimes the circumstances are not quite right. And you know what? Your recommendation, if you have credibility with someone, a lot of times that recommendation really counts for something with people. So, lo and behold, um, and, and in fact, you know, um, there's one very very prominent media person 
who is not at this company, but at another company, I recommended three people that were in need of jobs, right? And, and this person hired them like that. I, I think sight unseen. And I think they're all, all three of them are still working there and they're all working out well. So um, my question for you is, when do you recommend someone? To what degree do you decide to make enthusiastic recommendations? Because what's also happened to me uh, quite a few occasions is I've recommended someone for a job. They get hired. And they don't work out well. For whatever reason, they don't work out well. And all of a sudden, I'm left being blamed for this person. And I feel like that's a little unfair. So I'm curious if you've ever had a situation where you recommend someone, they work out well, and you get credit or you don't get credit, or if you've ever had a situation where they don't work out well, what you do. Because when I've had those instances where people that I recommend for something don't do well, my attitude almost is I, I, I kind of want to be done recommending people. I don't want to do it. So one person that I recommended for a job recently ends up quitting. They didn't like the job. It wasn't a good fit for them. And they end up quitting. And I'm like, okay, I spoke to five or six people for you on your behalf so you could get this job. And now you're quitting. Okay, fine. And what's even worse than the fact that you're quitting is it's taken a 10-minute phone conversation for you to explain to me why you're quitting. Okay, I have a a crying three-month-old here. I have a radio show to produce. I have five events to get to today. Let me move on. I don't need 10 minutes. Just uh, and And then... Lo and behold, somebody else asks me for a recommendation for that same company. And now I don't want to give it. I haven't responded to this person, but I don't want to give it because, um, I don't know, I've, I've kind of been burned once before here. So I, I know a job recommendation is a tough thing, but how do you know when is appropriate to give it? And how do you receive a job recommendation? That is the question. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. That's 800-848-WABC. Craig is in Guilford. Hello, Craig. Craig, I got you. All right, Craig has other priorities. 800-848-9222. Matt, do you have that clip from Curb Your Enthusiasm of that uh, job recommendation? Or uh, do you need a second on that? Uh, oh, you got it. Okay, L- let me hear it. This is from Curb Your Enthusiasm. This is from a few years ago. Hey, Larry. Yeah. The building manager just called. Yeah. In the next few days, somebody's going to come in. I'll yeah. take care of that. I'll okay. take care of that. Thank you, Larry. Okay. Thanks so much. Okay. Hi, it's Richard. Leave a message. Hey, Richard, it's Larry. Um, Matt Tesla just asked me to recommend him for your pilot, so this is me calling to recommend, recommend him. So in case he ever asks you if I recommended him, you can tell him that in fact I did recommend him. So that is the perfect 
unrecommendation, where Larry makes clear he wants to be on record recommending a person, but he doesn't really want to be on record recommending a person. How do you know when is just right? 800-848-WABC. If you receive a recommendation and if you get a recommendation, you know, it's funny. I am a big believer in passing on things, passing on people's resume. I'm a big believer in lists. I remember one time uh, someone who had a company asked me for a person for XYZ role. So I sent them a list of five or six people that would have been a good fit. My friend hires one. It didn't work out. This guy did not do well for her. And she ends up out of guilt and out of friendship with me paying him a lot more money than she otherwise would have. So it's a tricky thing, and I'm curious how it has worked out with you. Oh, and by the way, those of you following the the bold and the beautiful of uh, WABC, I did get finally uh, a response from Justin Ellick, and I've learned that. You know, if you, whether it's Rachel who works with Dan at Engineering or whether it's Justin Alec, if you want to get responses from people, um, you, you need to talk on the radio about them not responding to you. I just saw Chad, uh, uh, Chalo. Very good, Justin Alec. Our very own um, City Hall Autonomous District walking in here. So what I'm going to do now is actually go through all of the emails that Chad has not responded to and mention them on air. So that he's now forced to respond to them. Hank is in New Jersey. Hello, Hank. Good morning. I had a situation many, many years ago about my son, Jim, who you know. His oldest brother called me and asked me if I thought Jim would make a good worker at his insurance agency. And basically, I I know the kid would do good, but I said I turned it down. I said, no, I, I, I don't think he would work out well. So it's kind of hard for a father to turn down a job offering for a son. But I knew more about my oldest son that would give uh, Jimmy a real hard time uh, working. So that's that's my two cents. Wait, so you, you were in a position to give your own son a job recommendation and you didn't? Correct. Wow. I, I tell you, my father's smiling. That's something that uh, that even he would do. Uh, walking in like he's straight out of the pages of GQ is Chad <laughs> Lopez, our president. Chad, it's four eighteen in the morning. What are you doing here this early? Well, first off, good morning. Frank. Good morning. Um, so I heard you had a problem with the emails. I haven't. You know, so I said, you know, I, there's nothing like just going right in. As soon as I heard that, I got out of bed and I popped in. I sleep in my suit, so I came right in and said. I got to see Frank, and I got to answer every single one of those emails. Wonderful, you're, you're looking good. Um, so, first of all, um, congratulations to you know we've talked about how well we did in the overnight, but congratulations to you for the whole radio station's ratings for the month of January. I've been following the ratings for a long time in New York. I don't know the last time we've seen a, a book like this. Uh, for an entire month for this radio station. I mean, it's really extraordinary. Yeah, well, first off, thank you for the congratulations. But really, all the credit goes to John, Margo, and you. Thank for you. For the great thank work you. and your team. Uh, 100%, 100%. It's, uh, you know, like they say, you're only as good as your team, right, and what they do. So, But, uh, yeah, this this has been an incredible uh, experience. And to, to have an AM in New York have this type of growth, especially – what you're doing in the overnights to have that, I mean, it's been it's incredible. Yeah. And what's even more impressive is not just the ratings when it comes to radio, 
But we're doing this at the same time we're branching out into so many other different verticals, right? So we have now a YouTube channel where we're doing live video streaming or we're on the way to live video streaming. The whole That's station. So we're soon, basically right? going to be running a TV network. Right. We have podcasts with uh, yeah. basically Podcast hours networks. and hours of original content yeah. and uh, live events uh, yes. that are getting a whole lot of publicity. So to do all of that while and walking and chew gum at the same time and still see that kind of ratings growth, I think you know we all deserve a little bit and of a uh, pat on the back. Don't forget about uh, some other things. That, well, we we have the syndication network. One hundred percent syndication yeah. network. We also have uh, music radio. Right. Um, so that that's coming out. That'll be launched soon. That's 24 seven. Yeah. I heard you on, you know, speaking of you being ubiquitous, I heard you on with Vinnie Medunio a week or two ago. <laughs> uh, I, I could tell the guy sounded nervous when he was here. No, no, no. He thought you were here to give a pink no, slip or something. He that, does a great job on Saturday uh, the, the nights. Saturday nights, Saturday and Sunday nights. The music is that's uh, I think that's what. But look, John, John had a, he has he has a vision and I think his vision is on on spot. I mean, mm-hmm. he. To have, again, radio's alive and well. That's what it's saying Amen. now. And when you think about uh, what radio does, but it's the content, right? Especially for an AM to have uh, great content, that, that's what makes, I think, WABC special. And for uh, this 100-year anniversary, it's, it's, it's what a great story to have WABC come back. Be number one, News Talk New York, right? On the 100th year anniversary, no, no, so congrats no doubt about to, to no John doubt and Margo for what they've done. Absolutely, and I, I've expressed my gratitude both yeah. publicly and privately to John and Margo for this opportunity. Yeah. Now, a lot of people, and as I'm sure, have asked me, and I'm sure they've asked you over the years, about how you go about getting a job in radio, whether it's at this station or elsewhere. And you tell them this different thing, study this in school, do this internship, learn about this aspect of the business. I've never, ever told anyone that wanted to get into the world of radio, join the Navy. That's never been uh, uh, what I've suggested to folks. But people know from what Sid has said about you and what I've said and others that you're a a naval veteran. How did you, for people that are curious about your backstory, how did you make that transition from being in the Navy to being to leading, you know, the most listened to talk station in the country. You know, you're you're very good, Frank. Because you know, I don't like to talk about my personal life, especially on radio. But I will go into this here. Um, I I ended up going. I actually went to New York Institute of Technology for architecture. Went to an all boys Catholic high school, Holy Cross High School. Left there, went into uh, went to school at New York Institute of Technology, and realized in a matter of a year and a half that architecture wasn't for me. Right. And uh, I was sitting around and going through it. My mother said, you know, listen, my mother is uh, – she works for Nathan's Famous. She heads up their IT department there, and she's still there. And wow. I'm really proud of her that she's been doing that for so long, and, and she's still there doing it um, and kept up with the technology. So she said, listen, you have to go do something that, you're, that you want to do. I actually went into the Marines. I, I, I tried out for the Marines, took the test, and decided that it's not the Marines I wanted to do. I wanted to because I was a swimmer. So I went into the Navy and did that and ended up – Going through that, spent my first two years in Japan, and that's how I ended up in the Navy. Not because I said I want to go to the Navy. It was going into the Marines, and they said, well, what do you like to do? And I said, well, I like to swim. I like to do that. And then the Marine guy even said, you probably should go to the Navy. Walked into the Naval recruiter. And there I was. I ended up in, in the Navy for four years. But then how do you then make the transition into the world of commercial radio? Right, that's, that's an even better story because when I got out, um, back then – they they sent out the resume. I don't know if it still happens that way. They sent your resume out when they knew that you were coming out of the Navy. Um, and they sent it out on August 19th, 
1996, on August 21st, I was hired by uh, an advertising agency, a media buying service, for six years. That's what I did. I bought TV, print, radio, outdoor. Didn't it, back then, digital wasn't even part of a campaign, and a lot of the uh, salespeople that came in, I ended up working with in radio selling. I, I went to TV, and I was like, "All right, well, TV's kind of it takes a lot in TV to you know create the commercial print." It was kind of a little boring with the print, you know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't something. And then um, outdoor, I was really interested in outdoor, how it worked, and understood how they, they attracted it, what was going on. But then when I went to radio, every radio person that came in, they were always, it was theater of the mind. They would tell you, here's what the audience looks like. This is what's going on. This is, and this is why. And, and I had the first go around of Pan Am. I'm sorry, the second go-around of Pan Am and Stern's Federated Department stores mm. that I was buying for them and Sunjet Airlines, right? And the Pan Am, when we would have, like, all these hubs that would come up, it was great with the radio guys because they would come in and they would say, listen, if you run out of a hub, you know, if you, you're doing really well in one hub, we can stop it. Just call us, and in 10 minutes, we'll change the copy on air, and we'll instead of Miami – We'll do Los Angeles. You let us know how it's going based on that. And that's what I loved about Ready because it was nimble. It was quick. But if you put something on a billboard or you put it's something there. in magazine, it's there. It. You can't change it, right? And radio was one of the mediums that really, really could change the uh, the results of Where do you campaign. see radio going, especially this format, the talk radio format? Um, I, we talk about radio, but it's really audio. Where's audio, right? So audio's here and audio's in its, its distribution. It's how are you distributing the audio now? And that's what uh, John's vision was, was to say, listen, if we have great content, it's through the distribution channels. How do you figure out what's working, what's resonating? It's using social media. It's using all the different uh, distribution channels. Well, uh, we want to encourage everybody to make use of all those distribution channels at WABCRadio.com. And check out the WABC Radio Store, WABCRadioStore.com. If you search any of any of the products with my last name, Morano, or The Other Side of Midnight, you'll see some really new, really terrific new merchandise, including a great new alien cap, a great new alien shirt. And if you use the promo code, Code Frank 15, you'll save some money. Now, speaking of money, we're going to do the $1,000 minute in just a minute. You want to try and win $1,000? What do you think? Yes. You I'll want try. to try? Okay, good. Stick, <laughs> no. stick, yeah. stick around. I think that's uh, illegal if I win it, it probably is. It probably is. Uh, one of the things, in all seriousness, the yeah. next time you feel like coming in early, what I'd love yeah. to do is something that a lot of uh, general managers and program directors and presidents of stations yeah. used to do back in the day. I'd love to do an hour and just have you answer listener questions about what's happening at the radio station sure, and, sure. and stuff like that. Well, yeah, so uh, we'll definitely great. do that. It's good Thank to you. see you. Now, but, why so, are you What about these emails? Well, I, I heard you talking about the emails. Oh, so okay. what, what emails haven't I answered here? I, I'm here to answer I, I am going to go through. <laughs> see, what I've, what I've started doing with you, quite frankly, is yeah. now I copy you on everything because – because I've noticed when I copy you, yeah. even if it's something that you have nothing to do with, all of a sudden people get nervous <laughs> and they start responding to these emails right away. And yeah. I've learned that that's the trick. Yeah. No, it's, that's a John Katsutis trick. That's yeah, what he's yeah, to it's do. True. <laughs> it, it's true. It's true. Let's see. John knows a thing or two. That's right. That's about right. a thing or two. But I'm, I am going to go through right. these emails and see what I haven't, uh, what you haven't responded to. Corey's in Brooklyn. Uh, Corey, what do you have to say about job recommendations? I'm sitting next to a guy that's used to hiring people and maybe doing the opposite of hiring people occasionally. So, Frank, I don't know if this translates directly, but uh, I'm in residential and commercial real estate. uh, And unless I've worked with somebody 
for several jobs. And unless I know the person that's going to be hiring them is a decent person, like that's going to take care of them, not try to chisel them down, this kind of thing. Like I won't even let my uncle deal with some of my uh, companies that I work with or people that work for me because he's always going to try to chisel them. And so, Corey, let me ask you this. Let's say yeah. somebody you know, a friend, an acquaintance, asks you for a job recommendation and you don't want to give it for the reasons that you just stated. What do you say to that person? I, I'm sorry. Uh, I like you. I want to be friends with you, uh, but I'm just not comfortable recommending you for a job. Uh, probably or, yeah, I, you know, I don't think this is the right place for you to go. This is not, not the right person for you to work for or what whatsoever. So, so like, um, my roofer, I've got a great roofer and I got a great, uh, plumber. The, the woman next door, she got a terrible roof. She comes over, he's talking to her and I go to the guy and I'm like, listen, Feel sorry for her, but you don't want to deal with this woman. But go and show her, you know, that I tried. But you don't want to deal with her because she's going to try to chisel you down the half your price. And then, you know what's going to happen? If I were to recommend him, then he's going to, it's going to fall back on me. And then in the end, she's not going to be happy right. with the price. Right. He's not going to be, I'm not, he's not going to be happy with, uh, you know, she's not going to be happy with the price. He's not going to be happy with how he was treated. And then now, next time I call to get a roofing job, it's, yeah, uh, you know, I, I hear that, Corey. Yeah. Corey, great perspective. I appreciate you sharing that. Talking about job recommendations, how do you know when to recommend someone? What do you do if someone asks you to recommend them for something and you don't want to? I'm in that position now. Whereas I just recommended somebody to, to for a job. They didn't work out. And now someone else is asking me to recommend them to the same company. Now, what do I say? Do I do that, Larry David? Oh, if anyone asks, say I recommended you. Or do I say something else to this fella? I don't know. I, you know, I try not to hurt anyone's feelings. I try to help everybody. But I just, you know, I, I don't know. I don't feel like recommending him. 800-848-WABC. You know who the best at this was? Joe Franklin. I would sit in Joe Franklin's office for hours and he'd have two phones ringing off the hook at all times. All times you go in there, it's 8 a.m., it's 8 p.m. He's got these phones ringing all day long. He picks up, picks up the phone and say, uh, you know, oh, yeah, Stan, Stan, listen to me very carefully. Listen to me. Promise me, Stan. Call me back Tuesday at 3.30. 3.30 Tuesday. Slams the phone down. Then the guy calls back Tuesday morning at three thirty. Uh, uh, hello, Stan. 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 No, 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 no. Listen, I have sixty minutes in here. We're doing thirty minutes at a time. Uh, and then he, he slammed. And then his whole thing was he, he was like me. He didn't like saying no to anybody. And so he would basically just give them the runaround and keep saying, "Oh, you know, uh, Friday, Friday. Good news. Friday, eight thirty in the morning. Friday at eight thirty. Very important. Critical mission. Critical. Gotta call me." Uh, and then they call back Friday at 30. Stan, I, I got my lawyer in here. Uh, we're going over some very, very big things. Uh, I, and call me 2 p.m. this afternoon. Promise me, Stan. Promise me. Slams the phone down. Call back to 2 p.m. that afternoon. 
uh, Stan, uh, i am uh, got some very, very good things in mind for you. Uh, I'm working on it. Uh, please believe me. Uh, promise me you'll call me Monday morning first thing. And then, you know, of course, and he would just do that. Now, a lot of people he did help, but he would get thousands of people calling him every day, asking him for a recommendation or to be on a TV show or to be on his radio show or something. And there was no way he could accommodate everybody. So he kind of let, let them all go along like that. So I don't know. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We are going to do the $1,000 Minute. Mike is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Mike. Hey, how you doing? Um, I, I listened to you about recommendations in the Bible. The very beginning of the Bible, God shows you not to recommend anybody. You see, he recommended Eve for Adam, and look at the trouble she gave him. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, although I guess we wouldn't be wearing clothes uh, if uh, if uh, Eve was never around and uh, didn't coax Adam into doing some things he shouldn't have done. Tom is in the boogie down Bronx. Hello, Tom. How you, Tom? Hey, how you doing? Okay, look. Um, first, of course, I would need to know who the person is. You know, pretty good. His personality is he, uh, you know, a fit for the company, a uh, people person. Um, <clears throat> Does he have any kind of skills for the job? You know, and I don't have a problem in talking to the employer first. I know the employer, you know, a little bit, and letting them know that, you know, I think that this kind of guy, this kind of guy, you know what I'm saying? Give him a little heads up, you know, instead of before I just stick my neck out there like that. And uh, I, I, the guy has got to like the job, and and as far as Somebody that you don't want to hire, just tell them you ain't got no openings yet. You don't know nothing yet. Get back to you when I get something. It's no need to BS a person, you know, because you wouldn't like it either. You know what I'm saying? Fair enough. It's all right to tell a person, uh, I, you know, fib a little bit, but, you know, to, to keep everything nice. You know what I'm saying? Nice and friendly. So uh, personality, do he, uh, you know, I talk to the employer first. Do he like the job? Stuff like that. I got to do a, 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 a check first. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Well, that's not a bad philosophy there, uh, Tom. And uh, I really think that, um, I don't know, I I think that there's a way to treat people respectfully and nicely at the same time being honest with them. But sometimes recommendations do work out. You know, I I can't tell you how many times someone's asked me to recommend them to John Katsimatidis for something. Hey, can you talk to John um, about getting me a radio show. Hey, can you talk to John about donating to my campaign? Can you do uh, – oh, just uh, the other day, the guys that brought, brought the frozen pizza in here. I tried that frozen pizza, and I was very comfortable recommending those guys to John. And I, I all I said was, John, try this pizza. And he did. I don't know what's going to happen. Probably he'll start carrying the pizza in Gristidi's and D'Agostino's, and it'll be the – He'll, he'll turn these guys into overnight millionaires. Probably that's what will happen. But I don't know. You just never know. Uh, we'll do, before we get to the $1,000 minute, Joe is in Detroit. Hello, Joe. Hi. Hi. The, um, if the guy asked me for a recommendation, I'm not that comfortable with him. Uh, I, would, I would say you would probably do better with somebody that knows you better uh, than, or knows you know, more about your experience and things. And, and go go that route. And also, when I ask for a recommendation, I would ask the, the person who's 
recommending me. Can I write your name down as a person that uh, would give me a good recommendation? And if the guy's uncomfortable with that, he'll just say no, and that way there's no hard feelings. Right. And, right. Uh, that's that's the main thing. You know, I, I I would hate to recommend somebody and have not work out because you lose credibility and it, it strains friendships. You know what I mean? But, well, you're right, Joe, about that. I will tell you this though: there have been a few occasions. And again, I don't know why my whole life enthusiasm episode, but I guess it does. There have been a few occasions where there are people that I work with or that bug me or that work, you know, in some capacity that I interact with them. And I don't want to continue working with them. And they say they're pursuing this job or that job. And they'll ask, can you recommend, you know, can I list you as a reference? And I say, absolutely. And if it's somebody that I don't enjoy working with, I give the most over-the-top glowing review. And I have no qualms about doing it at all because most of the time their recruitment manager or the hiring manager is someone that I will never interact with again. Those That's an instance where I have no problem being dishonest for everybody's sake. In my view, I'm helping that person out and I'm helping myself out because I'm foisting them upon someone else. $1,000 minute straight ahead. Uh, seventh caller to 1 800 848 9222. That's 800 848 9222. This is the other side of midnight straight ahead. Love this song. T-Rex, bang a gun. You know, it's funny. These are the perils of wearing skinny ties. I like to wear a skinny tie once in a while, right? Because I'm a happening 21st century kind of guy. And so I posted some photos on the Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Morano fan of me at the uh, Jeremy Murphy book party. And I'm uh, sitting in, I'm standing in one photo between two beautiful women, right? Marlena Shivo and, and another woman who were at the book party. And wouldn't you know it, I'm looking at, at, and it clearly looks like I've spilled something on my shirt. Now, there was no food at this thing, so the only thing it could have been was a drink. And it was a top-shelf open bar, which was nice. I was drinking some Stoli Elite in support of Latvia. And uh, I, guess that's, um, I guess that's what spilled. But now it looks ridiculous, and it's something... And I hadn't seen it until I looked at this photo just now, and you could see it at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. It's something that if I had a thicker tie, the thicker tie would have blocked these drink spillage. But now I just look like a slob. So it makes me appreciate why I'm on radio instead of on television. Uh, 800-848-WABC. We're going to do the $1,000 minute in just a moment. But first... 
Breaking News, WABC. Now, the latest on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, We are monitoring exactly what's happening with uh, day seven of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And as it stands now, the Ukrainian flag has been brought down at the country's embassy in Moscow. The Russian state agency, uh, state news agency, RIA, has reported that a sign... This is a sign indicating the building was home to the Ukrainian embassy. It was removed as well as the flag, and the doors have been sealed. The Ukrainian government severed diplomatic ties with Russia after Moscow ordered an invasion, and apparently now we're seeing that come to uh, fruition in the fact that the embassy is now a shell of its former self. Additionally, India is opening an embassy in Lviv after ordering its citizens to evacuate evacuate Kiev. So India is setting up an embassy in the Ukrainian city of Lviv, I believe that's how it's pronounced, after evacuating all of its citizens from the capital. That's according to the uh, Indian foreign, uh, foreign uh, minister. That's what we're seeing. That is the latest out of Ukraine. The, Ukraine, the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense has denied reports as well that the southern city of Kherson has fallen to the Russians. Russian state media had previously reported that Russian troops had taken full control of the city. The Ukrainians are saying that's not the case. So we're going to keep an eye on all this. Meantime, more explosions are being reported in Kharkiv. So we're keeping an eye on all of this, and uh, we're going to have a lot on this tomorrow. My guest tomorrow, by the way, is a seasoned military expert, Harlan Ullman. He's going to be here. We're going to talk about warfare and the military and the implications for foreign policy. But we are going to give one of you an opportunity to win some money with. The Other Side of Midnight presents. It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Uh, Let's uh, see who can win $1,000 by answering 10 questions in 60 seconds. Let me say hello to Joseph in Massapequa. Hello, Joseph. Hey, Frank. Good morning. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing just fine, Joseph. Uh, Joseph, you familiar with the contest? Yeah, yeah. I listen to you before I head into work. I do. Great. Okay, great. So, uh, you're going to have 60 seconds to go through all these questions. If you get a question right, I'm just going to move on to the next question so that we can try and run through these within a minute, okay? Sounds great. All right. Uh, let's do it. How many inches are in a foot? 12. What political party is Donald Trump a member of? Republican. Name one ingredient in the drink a Bloody Mary. Tomato juice. What is the capital of Russia? Capital of Russia. The capital of Russia. What's the capital of Russia? Moscow. What state is known as the cheese state? As the cheese state, Wisconsin. What baseball team has won the most World Series championships? New York Yankees. Name one star from the TV show Friends. Um, Chandler Bing. Well, um, name the bird that's name the bird that's the last word in the title of Harper Lee's famous novel, To Kill a Blank. I'm sorry, 
sorry, Frank. Frank was going by. Could you repeat that one? All right. Well, we're actually out out of uh, out of time. Um, but um, and and I feel like you cheated on the Russia question a little bit. It felt like you got a little help there. Uh, but uh, I was just yell- I was just screaming it out to myself. All right. Well, I, I hear that. We're, uh, so unfortunately, what was that last question? Okay. So I the missed, last Frank? question, and um, w- and I'm curious if you would have gotten it. Name the bird that's the last word in the title of Harper Lee's famous novel, "To Kill a Blank." Mockingbird. Right. That uh, that 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 is, that is that is correct. But uh, you got hung up on that Moscow question, which ate up uh, a, l- a, lo- a lot of your time there, uh, Joseph. But um, a valiant yeah, effort. And there was a train going by, unfortunately, the good old Long Island Railroad. Yeah. Hey, uh, Joseph, you know, I'm going to use the privilege of the moderator here and um, invite you to play again tomorrow. We've done this once before. When, um, you know, when there was uh, somebody that felt that they got sort of a raw deal. So I'd hate to see you lose out on the thousand dollars because of a train or, um, you know, or something like that. I appreciate that, Frank. That's great. So call back. I'm going to put you on hold. Give Molly your number. We'll give you an opportunity to play tomorrow as well. Okay, Joseph? That'd be wonderful. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate it. Love the show. Thank you. Yeah, we don't want any controversy. So, Molly, grab Joseph's number and we'll give him an opportunity to play again tomorrow. Don't get too used to that. Because it's only on special occasions. But look, first of all, the guy seemed like a great guy, a nice guy and a good listener. Two, um, you know, there was a train going by. Three, you know, he got all the questions that we got to right. Now, he didn't do it within a minute, so he didn't win the money. But I feel like he kind of earned another spot there, right? I I don't think I'm going out on a limb on that one. So, uh, all right. We will do 15 seconds of fame in just a few minutes, 800-848-9222. If you want to email me, you can do so at uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. And uh, we'll bring you any of the other news that's coming out of Ukraine in just a minute. Uh, 15 seconds of fame coming up as well. If you want to be heard for 15 seconds, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. W-A-B-C. Thank you, Andy B., for our theme song. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. There's one, two, three, four open lines, 800-848-9222. Those of you that are listening to the hour that we did on our midnight panel with uh, John McDonough and Marlena Shrivo might have heard this clip about uh, veteran issues and something that uh, President Biden, an important issue, actually, that uh, President Biden was talking about. This is what uh, that we were talking about earlier. Many of you have been there. 
I've been in and out of Iraq and Afghanistan over 40 times. These burn pits that incinerate waste, the waste of war, medical and hazards material, jet fuel, and so much more. And they come home, many of the world's fittest and best-trained warriors in the world, never the same. Headaches, numbness, dizziness, a cancer that would put them in a flag-draped coffin. I know. One so, of those. What, uh, let me jump in here. If I may. was my son, Major Bo Biden. So uh, what? So I Bi- don't know for sure. Biden says. Bro- Biden says um, he's talking about a cancer that would put them in a flag draped coffin. You know, I was wondering before, and I just got to look at the transcript. Who was yelling during that? And w- w- that was Congresswoman Lauren Boebert from uh, Colorado, I believe, and she shouted. You put them in, 13 of them. And evidently, Lauren Boebert and this other winner, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the two of them repeatedly heckled Biden and shouted during this speech. And look, I don't care whether you agree with Biden's politics or don't agree with Biden's politics. I find this completely disrespectful. And if you're going to be sitting in the um, gallery for the State of the Union, you ought to act with some semblance of decorum. And even when they were agreeing with Biden, they were yelling like hyenas. When Biden said the answer is not to defund the police, Marjorie Taylor Greene joined in a standing ovation, which was boycotted by a few people like Ilhan Omar. And she shouts out, that's right. So even when she was agreeing with him, she's got to carry on like, um, like I don't know, like she's at a, a high school, you know, or a junior high school basketball game. I find that classless. I find it um, beneath the dignity of the, you know, the State of the Union. No one forces you to go there. You don't have to go. Don't go. Make that be your protest. No reason to carry on in such a manner. Uh, you're welcome to agree. You're welcome to disagree. Frank Morano at WABCRadio.com. On Twitter as well, at Frank Morano. And uh, on Facebook, too, at, uh, you know, at Facebook.com slash Morano fan. All right. Without further ado, it is time for The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. 15 seconds. Say whatever you like. Let's begin with Mike in New Jersey. Morning, Frank. Frank, it was nice to see that this year the State of the Union speech didn't get torn up. That was very nice. Thank you, Mike. Neil on Staten Island. Frank, I want a job recommendation for a job of qualified for from the Olive Garden of Staten Island. You, I want to be the personnel director of the Buddy Ranch in Nevada. <laughs> 800-848-9222. Jeremiah is in the Bronx. The Forever Purge and the New Order. All right, 800-848-WABC. Four open lines if you want to jump on board. Now's the time. Terry is in Lockland County. Hi, Frank. Hi, Frank. It was a great interview with Joe Pinion. He really knows how to express himself. Please have him on again, okay? Uh, I certainly will, and all the candidates are welcome on this show of every party. Russell is in White Plains. You don't see any fourth white... Ukrainian jingoism out in Brighton Beach. And when you're breaking off some gratitude for the ratings, you might want to give the callers some credit too, Frank. Thanks. Uh, fair enough. 800 848 
WABC, uh, 800-848-9222. Robert is in New Jersey. Hey, hi, there, Frank. Is it time for those hockey, Russian hockey players to hang up the skates for a while? <laughs> so be it. So be it. Joe is in Rocky Point. Hey, this is Joe Meltzer calling. Thank you again for a wonderful show. I love what you do. It's just, I look forward to waking up every morning at 3 a.m. to listen to you. It's great. It's just great. And one day I'm going to win a grant. <laughs> I look forward to that, Joe. Frank's in Pennsylvania. Give him, baby. Give him the money. He answered in a minute. He just missed his train. That's all. Come on. Give him- uh, he did not answer in a minute. Pat is in Oceanside. Oh, right. I'm glad we got that guy in there. All right. I I think on that note, um, we will uh, we will end that there. The WABC early news is coming up next. The Bernie and Sid show coming up uh, from six to ten. So far, no word on whether this particular edition of the Bernie and Sid show will include Roger Stone uh, talking about the Sal Greco case. If you want to learn about that Sal Greco case or help uh, make a contribution to his legal defense fund, go to the website helpthisnycop.com. That's helpthisnycop.com. I got one email here who writes that the caller Tom before, the Fugazi Tom from the Bronx, had 13 you knows. In that one phone call, he said the word, you know, 13 times. So I don't know what happened to the, you know, counter. I thought we were going to implement that today, but I, I guess uh, I guess it didn't work out. I guess it didn't work out. Hopefully tomorrow. Hopefully tomorrow. And uh, you will be, I think, very well served to not say, you know, repeatedly. Uh, Christopher emails me. Look at what happened on the subject of job recommendations Look at what happened to the guy that recommended Donnie Brasco. I do want to point out that Donnie Brasco, and we I've covered this on the Racket Report, Donnie Brasco is mostly historically accurate, but it's not entirely historically accurate. Al Pacino's character, Lefty Ruggiero, uh, he was not killed as a result of recommending Donnie Brasco, um, at least not how it's portrayed in the film. There were some serious repercussions for the Bonanno crime family. And I got I got a lecture on this from Rudy Giuliani yesterday. So if you want to know what Rudy Giuliani's listening to, check out the Racket Report. I'm told, actually, that uh, as a nice bonus, that that podcast is now available now. You don't have to wait till 9 a.m. So just search the Racket Report uh, wherever podcasts are available or go to WABCRadio.com. I'll be back at 1 a.m. Uh, we got some exciting things coming your way. Uh, the AC Report, uh, updates on Ukraine, and a whole lot else. WABC Early News is next. Frank Morano, good day.